Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. Sisters of the Leaf, coming to you live once again from, well, all over the fucking place, it's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight the boys congregate once again via live video, thanks to coronavirus you asshole, to talk about the often silly but always entertaining Jaws 3D. To aid them in their film discussion, they will as always be chugging a heroic amount of booze in 3D while smoking the La Unica cigar, as well as the unique Sulebra cigar offering, both from the historic J.C. Newman Cigar Company. It sounds like we're in store for one hell of a good time, folks, so sit back, light them up, and enjoy the show. Let's do it. I'm going to take a sip of beer. Interesting. Boys, I'm going to start tonight's show off um, by telling you something that I hope elicits a response that I don't get from you guys very often. Uh, I did Gratitude? something today. I did something. What did you say? Gratitude? Yeah. I, I was going to say pride. I, I, I did something today I thought might make you guys proud of me. All right. Um, grateful is something I've never experienced from you guys either, so that would be – you know what? I'll leave it up to you what you want to throw my way, but uh, I decided today – you know, we're doing uh, Jaws 3 tonight which takes place at SeaWorld. And yeah. I've seen the movie a, a ton of times. And it doesn't necessarily paint SeaWorld in the best light. So I read a book. I ordered a book on the Jaws series, uh, one of the best-reviewed books as far as history of the production and all that. And I couldn't find anything about why in the hell SeaWorld would agree to be associated with this film, to let them do this film. I understand all publicity is good publicity, but they really, they really like, nobody's going to want to go to SeaWorld after watching this movie. So I did something today. So I couldn't find anything. I looked on the internet. So I was like, you know what? It's like lunchtime. And I'm like, I'm going to call SeaWorld. I'm going to call SeaWorld's corporate office and see if I can get it. Talk to someone about their involvement with Jaws three. 
Because as far as I can tell, nobody else has made that call. It's not out there on the internet anywhere. I'm going to be the guy that gets an answer on what, what SeaWorld was thinking when they, you know, assuming that the people in charge in 1983 are still there and, and, just, wait, and just waiting by the phone to talk to me. <laughs> but hey, it's a quarantine. It's not like people are they're filled with tourists at the thing. They got to be just sitting around doing nothing. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to call. What, what could possibly – I'm going to be a professional. Hey, man, we're Cigar Media. Where's my hat? Tut, wear the hat. There you go. I was media today, boys, so I made that call. And first of all, are you just proud of me for having that kind of gumption? Yes, yes. very. Yeah, I will. Yeah, all right. I'll go there. All right. Well, I called, and of course, there's a an automated phone system, like everywhere you call nowadays in the corporate business world. And I thought it was interesting when they uh, when the voice was prompting me. It said, "Thank you for calling SeaWorld. Your call may be used for training porpoises." Oh boy! And then I hung up. I don't I don't have time for those shenanigans. A media, I got a lot going on. Was that whole thing just to set up the training porpoises? I had yep. so many questions like which which SeaWorld did you call? Are they even still in business? I think that if they are, there's a couple of different SeaWorlds. <laughs> I, I put on I put on the media half or training porpoises set up. Wrinkled just, up all that teased hair for nothing. Exactly. You just you <laughs> Oh, so, so instead of pride and grat- gratification, I'm getting you did what Tut said, disappointment. I'm used to that. I can I can get more, I can deal with that. Uh, disrespected the media hats. What you did? Uh, disrespect, dissatisfaction. Um, I can tell in the doctor's face some some subtle annoyance. I think Yak's got a kick out of it though. A little bit, a little bit. Okay. Well, welcome everybody to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, episode one nineteen. One nineteen. Uh, come on, training porpoises. Dude, I, I actually, if you were to give me a chance, I, I, I kind of admire the commitment to setting it up. I don't admire you disrespecting the media hat, though. I'm sorry. I won't. I won't put the media hat, that. The hat didn't ask for that. I put the hat in the line of fire, and I was wrong. Give me like 20, 30 minutes. It's going to kick in, and I'm just going to be like. It served its porpoise. You just beat me to it. I was going to say that joke was totally without porpoise. <laughs> uh, we actually don't have any porpoises in tonight's movie, surprisingly. A lot of, a lot of marine life in tonight's movie, which we will get to very soon. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Once again, we are coming at you from all over Central Texas. Um, We're not going to be able to be together for a while. I hear rumors Texas might be getting locked down. Again? Again. Again. People just can't keep themselves from going out and having a good time. And uh, I say people, assholes. Um, So, yeah, so we're going to keep coming to you this way uh for please don't look at my instagram feed two tuts taking selfies like (laughs) 20 people 
bear hugging people, bear hugging <laughs> random dudes. Is one of those inner tubes on the river linked together <laughs> 400 people? Uh, well, I, I've been staying home. I've been good. But, uh, oh, I have too. In fact, I've got a soldering iron, a soldering gun that just uh, came in the mail today. So I'm going to be having a good old time just soldering and soldering. I've never, I've never worked a soldering gun, so we'll see how that goes. What are you going to be soldering? Robots. So you're already at the point where you're gone full blown crazy and you're making a robot army? Yeah, yeah. To protect your home when the (laughs) shit goes down, huh? The next time you see Tony. Yes, yes, that's what it's for. It's for protecting my home. He's clearly going to make a robot body because that's not infected by the virus, so he can transfer his mind into it. And leave his house. Oh, yeah, I could totally see Tut's head on a real janky, like, (laughs) homemade robot body. Um, Well, you know what I was thinking about this morning, guys? Doing with all this COVID shit and all that. Good God, do I miss sports. I agree. I just, I mean, the people dying and, uh, you know, the... Millions and millions of people affected and all that. I mean, that's sad. But sports, uh, Doctor, you were absent from our last episode. I proposed to the guys that we could actually get start doing our shows together like the old days, all in the same room, but we would have to do like the NBA and live in a bubble in the same hotel with, with each other for like four months and get tested every day. I got a resounding no from those two uh, well, there would go my career, so uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to participate. Well, you could perform medical stuff on us. Will I get paid? Paid so, in hugs. The NBA is supposedly still on track to try the bubble here in a few weeks to finish their season. But i got to ask you guys, do you think, as of today, baseball's about to start, basketball's getting back into it? A lot of the football conferences have said they're going to pare down to just conference play, uh, you know, so you won't see Texas A&M play my alma mater, Sam Houston, anymore, those, those, those games. But I'm convinced. I mean, do you really think there's any chance of any of these sports happening? I, I, any day now, I think they're just going to say, fuck it, we're not doing it. You're well, not telling the South that there's not going to be football. You're just not. I don't think I seriously don't think sports are coming back this year. I think we're days away from everyone just saying it's fuck it, it's not happening. I initially would have agreed with you. Now I know that when I the minute I say this, you're gonna break my balls and say golf is not a sport, which it's it's not a contact sport, it's not a team. Oh sure, no, it's a sport. Uh, it's not a contact sport, it's not a team sport. But they they've played now five or six tournaments since restarting. Um, but that, that's, it's a very different animal. Uh, they don't have fans, but it's easy to distance while playing golf. There's very few people on the course. You're able to keep, they know they're not wearing masks, but they're able to keep six feet apart. And they've had a couple of people test positive, but that's a whole other thing to, to try to avoid getting into, I guess, but they've been able to make that work. I can actually see, I initially made a bet with my dad that I said, there's no way they're, they're going to play baseball. And he said, they're going to start. He said, I, I don't, whether they get through their proposed 60 game season or not, we'll see, but they're going to start. Now, I'm pretty convinced that they're, they're going to start baseball 
next week, there's actually going to be some preseason games, what they're calling summer camp this, this weekend. I, I don't, when you start getting into, you know, more of a, of a contact situation. Yeah. Dudes running into each other. Football, I, I see that being more difficult. Sweating all over a ball and throwing it to 20 different dudes throughout the course of it. Hey, Todd, I saw that face you're making. Uh, and that, sweaty balls aside, so let's stick on baseball here for a sec because I, I read a thing that this guy said that really I thought it was worth repeating last week. Washington Nationals reliever Sean Doolittle. you familiar with him, Doctor? Oh, yes, yeah. He spoke to the media about Major League Baseball's training camp and the COVID-19 situation around the sport. Uh, per the Washington Post, here's what the lefty said. I'm going to just read his words. I do think it brings to mind kind of where we're at in our response to this as a country. Like we're trying to bring baseball back during a pandemic that's killed 130,000 people. We're way, we're, we're way worse off as a country than we were in March when we shut this thing down. Look at where other developed countries are in their response to this. We haven't done any of the things that other countries have done to bring sports back. I love this line. Sports are like the reward for a functioning society. And we're trying to just bring it back, even though we've taken none of the steps to flatten the curve, whatever you want to say. We didn't flatten the curve a little bit. We didn't use that time to do anything productive. We just opened back up for Memorial Day. We decided we're done with it. If there aren't sports, it's going to be because people are not wearing masks because the response to this has been so politicized. We need help from the general public. If they want to watch baseball, please wear a mask, social distance, keep washing your hands. We can't just have virus fatigue and keep thinking, well, it's been four months. We're over it. There's been enough time, right? Well, we've waited long enough. Sports should be back now. No, there are things we have to do in order to bring this stuff back. And now you want to bring fans back. Is that safe? I don't know. I'm not a public health expert, but we should probably defer to them on some of these issues. So I don't know if it's safe or not. I just really don't know, end quote. First off, is it too late to get this dude on the ballot for president of the United States? Um, one of the few people that actually has a functioning brain. Admitting he doesn't have all the answers, citing facts, holding public health experts and scientists in high regard. I like this dude. Let's make him president. Uh, do little too late. Oh, boy. Uh, I was wondering what some of the other countries <laughs> Sorry. Just out of curiosity, because another sport that they restarted that is a team sport and a contact sport, uh, in both Germany and England, they restarted their soccer seasons. Yeah. And if you watch an English soccer game, I mean, you're spread out on the field, but it's a contact sport. And they're making it work. I mean, guys are they're going to finish their regular season. So has is it because what Sean Doolittle saying is it that in those countries in England that people more so than they did here followed the guidelines and locked themselves down and wore masks and really prevented the spread so that they were like, hey, if we take this team and everybody is responsible and we just go to practice and just go to games and and have no fans that we, we actually are able to kind of create an isolated community that if one person gets sick, we can get them out of there and test everybody, but we can keep going. And those are things we haven't done here. Is that kind Germany, of the Germany was very rigid and uh, in true German fashion, very efficient. They got on top of it very quickly. 
uh, the people knew what to do and the people did what they were asked to do and they got on top, they, they got on top of it and they got it controlled. I guess they've done the same thing in England because a, a typical premiership team in England, maybe at most 40% of their players are English. The re- they've got guys from Africa, France, Spain, you know, the U.S., Mexico, they all play in the Premiership League. I guess they've just been better at, at doing things ancillary to the sports that they need to do. And he's right. We haven't done that here. He, he's, I can't disagree with anything he said. No, I, I, I thought he was dead on across the boards. And I think, um, again, my gut tells me we're not going to have football this year. But maybe, maybe I'll, I would love to be proved wrong. And it – you are going to be because the South is going to be like, oh, fuck you guys, man. We're going to have football. I don't care what you say. But I can see the, I can see what my dad is saying. They're going to go out there and play a game, but what's going to happen when they play a game and then, then uh, the next week half of each team tests positive, then they're going to have to stop. I, I can see it starting. Uh, and like to Kate's point, for my own selfish purposes – Good God, I hope they play a 60-game baseball season because as a guy who plays golf, I can watch golf. So I've been living for these golf tournaments. That's all Saturday, Sunday, five hours straight, I'm watching the golf tournament because I play, so I enjoy it. I imagine other people think it's like watching paint dry. But, man, yeah, if you if they want to give it the old college try and play baseball, you guys go right ahead. I don't know how good of an idea it is. Uh, well, there goes the shoulder. I don't think it's just you, Doctor, because I went over to my, my mom's house the other day who's never touched a golf club in her life, and she was watching golf. Hey, she, she's just desperate for sports. Uh, so, anyway, we'll see what happens. I was just thinking about today. I was like, God, I just I – just, it's a, it's a big, big part of my time spent during the course of a year is watching sports, and I, I miss it dearly. Um, all right, well, moving on. We got big stuff to talk about tonight, guys. It's enough catching up, enough small talk. Uh, we got two cigars to smoke tonight. Yak boy, he's frozen. Every, I'm gonna speak for Yak boy. Every episode, in case you join us for the first time, what we do is we pair a cigar, expertly, some might say, some have said, with a beer, a craft beer, or another adult beverage. And then we also pair those two with a movie, a premium, entertaining film. And we make the three of them work together beautifully in harmony, or at least that's the idea when we go into it. So I'm going to do this. Since we have two cigars tonight, I'm going to introduce the cigar first so we can start lighting up and then we can smoke during uh, the beer introductions and whatnot. The first cigar tonight is the La Unica by J.C. Newman Cigar Company. It's this little guy. It is a four and a half by 50. It's a number 400 in the series. It's a Rothschild in size. Uh, Connecticut wrapper, Connecticut shade wrapper. Uh, Dominican binder, Dominican filler. I'll save price point for later. From J.C. Newman, I learned this about tonight's selection. Since 1986, La Unica Cigars have been offering an outstanding premium cigar value unparalleled in the industry. As with many classics, La Unica Dominican Primeros came from humble beginnings. 
More than 20 years ago, before the cigar boom, J.C. Newman's cigar company, Patriarch Stanford J. Newman, challenged his good friend, Carlos Fuente Sr., with an idea that had never been tried in the cigar industry. Develop a rich, flavorful, superb-tasting premium cigar and package it in an inexpensive cellophane bundle without costing, without costly boxes and trimmings found with other premium cigars. Dude, this is the first bundle cigar. Sweet. Uh, since then, has moved on, is now boxed up and uh, <laughs> pre- presented uh, more uh, with a little more grandiose things. Carlos selected the sizes and Stanford approved the blend, a combination of Cuban seed, Dominican long filler tobaccos, specially aged for a maximum flavor and smoothness. When skillfully hand-rolled with a delicate Connecticut shade, light natural wrapper, Carlos fulfilled Stanford's vision. Within six months, this cigar became the number one selling premium bundle cigar in America. Um, today, the La Unica still has the exact same blend as it did in 86. Um, and the smooth, rich flavor preserves the history of the brand. These cigars have now grown up in their bundle days and are elegantly packaged in custom cedar cabinets of 20. Despite the maturity of the packaging, we've not strayed from our roots in the original hand-selected perfectly aged blend of tobaccos that make La Unica a favorite. They're smooth enough for every day, but far from ordinary. They're handmade by Tabacalera A. Fuente. These are made at Arturo Fuente's factory in the Dominican Republic. And I cannot wait to light it up. What you guys, you guys Sounds interesting. Yeah, uh, getting a little bit of fruitiness. Uh, I want to say a little bit of hint of grape. I'm not exactly sure, but on the cold draw. Yeah, getting a little bit of fruitiness there on the cold draw. See, now I don't know if I got grape because you said grape or the power of touch, touch suggestion. Because it's not quite sweet raisins. It's not sweet raisins, but there is something there. There's something a little bit of sweet there, but it's not like cocoa sweet. I mean, it's kind of there's a fruitiness there. The fruity sweetness, uh, yeah, boy, I believe it's figs. Figs. I'm pretty sure I've had one of those back in the late '90s. I'm glad, dear, you said it had been around that long. Really? Well, you did work in a tobacco shop around that time. Yeah, uh, I, I remember. I've, I've I distinctly remember the label, and I feel like I remember that name, and that they were inexpensive. Um. Well, yeah. There's that fruity. Uh. That fruity. It's it's not overpowering at all. It's just very light fruit, um, and some light sweetness, and we're just getting a, a little bit of hay, a little bit of hay on the off the wrapper. Okay. Well, let's light up. I will introduce our second cigar, which is unlike anything we've ever done on the show before. Yeah. You got a nice little hint of a uh, black pepper there, right on the initial the initial light of it. Uh, nice little. Little initial strike off the cigar, kind of, kind of dig that. Yes, agreed. I wasn't expecting that from the components we were told. Exactly. Nice little pleasant surprise. Ooh, and yeah, a little, uh, very, uh, almost creamy, kind of coffee note on the. <clears throat> excuse me, a little creamy coffiness. Coffee, coffiness. Is that a word? Coffiness. 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 Um. Yeah. Okay. First sheep poster. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yak boy. While we get into this, let's get right to the beers. Oh, who should we discuss first? How Do about- me first because I need to go take care of something while you are discussing the other ones. 
Do Tut first. Do Tut first. All right. Monsieur Tut has chosen the Celis White or Vit Beer. It is a white beer. Uh, Celis uh, White is a 4.9% ABV and only 14 IBUs. Very light. It, it is a Vit Beer. Uh, Celis has a little bit of a history to it. Um, the actual brand was started uh, by Pierre Celis back in 1965. Um, through a long and roundabout way, the uh, the last uh, Vit Beer brewery in uh, had gotten shut down, and then he decided he would keep it going. He to to not let the style go away, so he he picked it up. Uh, some of the brewing equipment and, and whatnot, and revived the style, as I said, 1965. Uh, going back and, and forth, he did everything he could and, and eventually had, had promoted it enough that over time he eventually decided to change locales Went all the way to Austin, Texas in 1991. Well, I'm sorry, where... Where was he? Where did he go to save it and bring it back from? Uh, it was in uh, Germany. Okay, okay. I figured it was overseas somewhere with the. Uh... Yeah, no, it started in Europe. So he uh, went over there, saved, saved the. Well, excuse me, not 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 in Germany. I, I apologize. I apologize. Uh, it was uh, actually in Hogarden, Belgium. It, it's 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 a Belgian white. I, I apologize. I. Okay. But, uh, you know, the... Don't, the let, it don't let it happen again. You know, I'll just keep making mistakes. It'll happen. It's not my porpoise. Oh, too soon. <laughs> so the reason we still have Vit beers is because of this guy. Yak boy froze, so I'm going to go ahead and say yes. It is because of this guy, <laughs> and now he's living down the street from Utah in Austin, Texas. Yes, and I specifically chose this because the last beer that I had was so powerful it knocked the bejesus out of the cigar and anything around. And then plus it's hot as bejesus, and I'm going to find other opportunities to use bejesus. And yeah. this basically gets out of the way of everything. It interestingly enough. <clears throat> Because it is a vit beer, uh, it's got very, I mean, it's got in a small, minuscule way, it's got characteristics of the Don de Du. It's got a characteristics of those doubles and triples. But it's not as strong. It's not as yeasty. I mean, it's like, imagine um, uh, a triple mixed with a blonde. I mean, you would hate it because it's like watered down, but it's also like supposed to be a very light tasting beer. So I think it's kind of interesting that you've got a light tasting beer, but little bitty hints of that citrus and coriander and the coolness, baking spices, kind yeah, of. Yeah, and the coolness that you get from the from the doubles. It actually sounds, as far as summertime goes, it actually sounds like not a bad deal. And, to and it, it totally gets the way it gets out of the way of the cigar. Uh, I can imagine so. And to, you totally because I told Yak Boy first in our group chat what I was drinking. I picked a white beer, a different type of white beer tonight because we're doing a great white shark movie 
and I'm drinking a white stout. And then Tug comes in the next day with, uh, I'm going to do a white beer too. <laughs> I chose my I chose my white beer before you chose your white beer. Yeah, I don't think so, pal. Yeah. So yeah, Plus it's from Austin. Uh, mine is not from Austin. What am I drinking? You are drinking the New Holland Dragon's Milk. New Holland Brewing uh, out of uh, Holland, Michigan. It is a Bourbon Barrel Imperial White Stout along those lines. Uh, very pretty can. It Simple, is. elegant. Uh, it is quite strong as well. It's 11% ABV. Ooh. Mine says 6%. Does it? Yeah. Did I look at the wrong one? Maybe. Yeah, this is 6%, buddy. This is the Dragon's Milk White. Um, uh, I think I looked 6% times 2. <laughs> I, uh, well, you know what? I'll just drink twice as many as I was planning on, and it'll all balance out. Good plan. I think I may have looked at your, is that a Is that bourbon barrel? Yes, uh, Dragon's Milk White Bourbon Barrel Aged White Stout. I may have looked at a different one then. I may have drank the wrong one. <laughs> hey, could be worse. Uh, uh, what, I, a bunch, I, what a bunch of porpoiseless morons. I wish it was 12%. I, I, I usually don't drink uh, Anything lower than 18%, but I thought for the sake of the show and the cigar, I'd give it a shot tonight. Okay, well, don't uh, – it's a – my only real question for you is going to be what, what makes a white stout. Um, so I got to tell you, the it's weird pouring a stout that looks like a, you know, a lager. Um It's All right. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I did look at the wrong one. Okay. Uh, there's there, there's a, another one that it's, it's a double imperial. Uh, the white stout is created as, as it is created as a result of omitting the dark roasted malts from the grain and replacing them with a, a cold steeped coffee, cocoa nibs, and or vanilla beans. Do you have oh. vanilla? Not yet. Let me grab another one. And I, and I keep going. I, it's in there. I didn't pick up any cocoa nibs either. <laughs> well, no, it's it's one of those. Do you taste coffee? No. Or cocoa nibs. So I'm going to go I'm with you. Got the vanilla beans. Kidding. When have you when have you ever seen a stout look like this? It's not a stout. They're lying to you. It's all lies. It's not a stout. It's not a stout at all. Then again, we don't know what the dragon's milk actually represents. It has almost zero aroma. It's funny. They say they lost the malts to introduce the cocoa and the vanilla and stuff, but it's actually kind of malty. And it, it's got... Well, it's not that they, they were... They, got, they, they didn't get... They probably did not use... Like they said, they didn't use a roasted malts. The roasted malts, the overpowering you usually see in a stout. Um, yeah, buddy. I'm not getting... Uh, Keep drinking it, Cade. You'll find it. No, it's it. I'm just getting maltiness and it's nothing stout like. And I'm sure shit not getting any cocoa nibs. 
Um, it's terrible. Apparently, but, but having, having having said that, um, it's hot as fuck in where I'm at. It was like 115 today, so it, it I'm gonna drink it, and it's not gonna interfere with the cigar at all. I mean, it's just it just tastes like a a beer. It's a beer. It's a beer. Hey, is the doctor drinking beers tonight? The doctor is drinking beers. Yak boy, what's he drinking? Uh, Blue Bonnet. Oh, my beloved Blue Bonnets. Oh, and I love windmills, too. It's got a windmill on it. Yes. From Wild Acre Brewing out of Fort Worth, he is drinking their called the Texas Blonde. It's a 5.6% ABV and 15 IBUs, typical for your... Blondales. Um, it was uh, Wild Acre started up. Uh, it's fairly new. Started producing beers back in 2017. So they are a youngin in terms of brewing, but apparently making some tasty ones. The question the, for the well, doctor. The question for the doctor is: Is it good? It is very enjoyable. I seem to have sensed a theme here that everybody kind of went with a middle of the Texas summer sort of beer tonight. Uh, Things have gotten hot since our last episode. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty muggy up here today. So uh, um, I picked it because Dennis Quaid's from Texas, and this movie he's one wild acre. It's a stretch, but uh, it was all I could do. Uh, He is a Texas boy, so. uh... I'll give you, I'll give you that, and uh, it is I, uh, a it is a nice dog days of summer beer to drink. Like you said, it's a blonde. There's nothing that's really gonna jump out at you there. Um, I would say just the lightest bit of citrus, which I guess is kind of natural in a lot of blonde beers, but uh, nothing. I could see this being good with cigar, not overwhelming it either. This is a nice, tasty summer beer. Okay. And Yak Boy, our resident beer expert, I'm expecting the most impressive pairing of the night to come from you. No pressure. I uh, gotta go. <laughs> Damn it. Spike I'm from, from Steel Reserve. <laughs> from Independence Brewing out of Austin, Texas, I am drinking their Austin Amber. Tell you're a fan? Yeah. I like Independence. They got a lot of good, interesting stuff. What is an Amber Beer EX? It is a red ale. So what's the difference between an Amber and a red ale? Or is it the hipster way of saying red ale? It, yes, it is a red ale. That's just that's their thing. They, they call it amber. Okay. So okay. Uh, uh, they're usually a little bit stronger. Uh, slightly. This one's six percent. I mean, it's not. I'm not saying that they're like you know overly strong. They, no, I mean, but red ales are always a little bit stronger than your your normal lagers and whatnot. Right. So it is six percent. It's 32 IBUs. Everyone was going. I don't want anything to interfere with cigar, but I'm like, well, I want something with a little bit of flavor. Not a white, not a blonde. So I went with the red ale. It's a white stout, though. That's at least I took it's gonna a count for something. At least I took a chance. I don't even know what a white stout is. Eh, we still don't. 
Apparently, uh, they, okay. they, they, they take the roasted malts out of the typical stout and replace them with cocoa nibs, vanilla, and other things of that nature. Dude, Tut, this is a stout. Yeah, you missed that. If you take the malts out of a stout, it's not a stout. Yeah, but the funny thing is, I was telling these guys, it's the only thing I'm getting from it is maltiness. <laughs> They're experts. That brewmaster, that brewmaster's sitting there going, you assholes. Uh, Son of a bitch, you can't even taste the cocoa nibs. <laughs> if you knew how many goddamn cocoa nibs I put in there. I just call it like I see it, dude. <laughs> I didn't go to six years of German brewmaster school for this. We are the fair and balanced cigar media. Wasn't Cocoa Nibs the name of one of the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi? <laughs> yes, uh, I think so. I hated that little guy. Okay, so we uh, we know what we're all drinking. I think we all took a step back from our, our double IPAs. Seems like we all kind of collectively, which I'm glad because this is a breath. This is not a delicate cigar, but I, I, I think we would have done it. It would have had no chance against some of the shit we've been drinking over the last few weeks. And that would have been a shame because it's thus that first, you know, it's hard to chop up a Rothschild in thirds, but uh, that first little bit, it's got some nice little flavors kicking to it. Mm-hmm. It's still got that uh, about two inches in. It's got the uh, spice on the nose that, like you called it, black pepper on the nose is, is still present. Um, I'm getting kind of a floral, a floral note with some cedar on the draw and it's still got that just what I call it light creamy coffiness. Yeah. Trademark 2020 Tuesday night cigar club coffiness. I've got, I've got a little bit of that cedar kicking into, I think if the strength punches up a little bit, it might transition into some leather. Uh, but it's got that, it's right there on the cusp, the dark side of cedar. Uh, almost getting a little bit of toast in there, but not quite yet. So it's going to be interesting. That's a lot of flavors we just spit out there in the last uh, minute of talking. Yaks? I can agree with the toast. I had gotten that, you know, like you mentioned on the on the aroma for lighting up a little bit of hay. I got a partial sweetness there. I can't, I'm not going to say that it was fruit or anything, but it was just, it was a sweetness. I don't know exactly what, but so far... I am getting, uh, you know, I'm getting that a little, little, little touch of pepper there. I'm liking that, but uh, it is well, we will just beginning. I think Cade was a little bit right. Not fig, as in fruit fig, like you go to a Greek restaurant and get one of those yeah. figs. Fig Newton. Well, Fig Newton cookie, huh? It tastes a little bit Fig Newton yeah. cookie. That was that sweetness from the cold draw. I should mention, I guess, one of the. Coming for as one of the you know or the first bundled in cellophane cigar, it's not the prettiest cigar wrapper wise I've ever seen. It's it's you know it's There's kind like of, purple splotches all over. It's it's a little mottled, I think is the technical term. Um, and it's it's kind of bumpy and it's 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 not going to win any beauty contest. But the burn line is straight across on mine it's been drawn like a dream so you know at the end of the day i mean yeah appearances are great and i like the fact that it's got some history back to 19 what 65 or something 86 oh oh yeah okay 
That's still a long time ago. It's still a long time ago. I could have sworn you said 65, and all of a sudden it conjured up images of Mad Men, and I'm like, man, this could be like a Don Draper cigar. Um, I'll well, we'll go with that. Maybe, maybe J.C. Newman. Not. It's not. Maybe, maybe J.C. Newman was wrong in their marketing materials. <laughs> well, speaking of old shit um, and beers, this is the part of the show where, sadly, those things collide. Uh, we had a really old dude die, and now we need to fill up the boot of remembrance to celebrate his life. Hang on, because I need to pour another one because I will be partaking in this. Legendary. No, go, you can go ahead. Let me go ahead and uh, say what I got to say, and then we'll do this sad piece of business. But, uh, man, it's really hard for me to get the boot out these days. Um, but this guy, I mean, how could you not and call yourself a partial film podcast? Legendary film composer Ennio Morricone. Died on July 6th at the age of 91. Really? I did not know that. Yeah. It's a hell of a run. It's a great run. It is a great run. I could have written my own eulogy for the maestro, but as you all know, I'm incredibly lazy. So I'm instead going to read you some words from one of Ennio's biggest fans and my own personal favorite film composer, Mr. John Carpenter. Carpenter had a relationship with Morricone. Obviously, the Italian genius scored Carpenter's... uh, 1982 film, The Thing. So this was pulled from an article uh, that posted last week on IndieWire. Carpenter discovered Morricone through Sergio Leone's Spaghetti Westerns from the Dollars Trilogy through The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly and Once Upon Time in the West, which Carpenter considers to be Morricone's triumph. It's one of the great scores of all time and launched that movie into another place, Epic Opera. It's the ultimate in composing. You can't get better and more profound than that. And I agree with Carpenter there. The score that Morricone did, yes, the good, the bad, the ugly. We all know that's when you think of Ennio Morricone, you think of those spaghetti westerns. But we did an episode on Once Upon a Time in the West. And that music was just a constant throughout that film. And because Sergio Leone didn't ever record sound while filming, that was all done later, he would have Morricone record his scores based on the scripts beforehand and play them on the set while the actors were doing their thing. So they, as a beautiful thing where the actors actually got to listen to Morricone's music as they were acting, which nobody's ever done that shit since. Um, I wonder, did... Has there been any interviews with those actors? Did they realize what piece of special music they were listening to? Because, I mean, that's the first time anybody had heard of it. Yeah, no. Uh, there's a great documentary on What's Hot in the West that was on one of the original DVDs, um, which did go quite a bit into Morricone. And I believe the actors did talk about hearing that music on set. But I don't think they gave it the... They were there to talk about themselves. They're actors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah let's talk about, i thought we we're here to talk about me um carpenter went on to say morcone came from experimental music a strange place and he has done so many different kinds of scores he's done over he got over 500 movie scores at the time of his death one of his last being the great score for tarantino's the hateful eight uh, which was fucking awesome 
Carpenter says he was a traditional composer, but with a layer on top that is difficult to describe. He had the knack. The music would go deeper into whatever the movie was. It would bring out something in depth, a theme, a feeling. He was like an X-ray composer. He brought out a part of the theme of the movie that hadn't been thought of before. And if you look, think back to Once Upon a Time in the West, every movie I go back to, I hear the music first in my mind before I see the visuals. And I think that's where Carpenter's coming in there. Like it's genius. He was one of the greatest, if not the greatest film composers of all time. Let's just go with the greatest. I I don't think anybody is going to get in trouble for throwing that out there. So uh, tonight we'll be filling the boot for the maestro Ennio Morricone. I hear you, maestro. What a career. I've got a lot of his obscure Italian movies that he scored on CD um, over the years. There's so much amazing stuff that nobody's even... It's so obscure and that nobody's even heard. I mean, the guy was just so prolific, and no no two scores were the same. Uh, It was just just really mind-boggling. The thing that was interesting about him is that his because of his background and his love for experimentation, that often goes uh, hand in hand with just originality and being original. Like I think that John Williams is a great composer, but he's also influenced by a lot of people, and I'm going to that is definitely air quotes for our podcast listeners. Uh, because there's a lot of times where you can you can he can straight riff Brahms, he can straight riff Beethoven. He does he's very traditional, so he gets away with it. But a lot of his themes have like little things that you know. Oh, I've heard this before. I've heard this before. I've heard this before. Tell me you've heard harmonica before. You have it. No, the, and- the whole even even the, you know when it, when you were like even the you know the spaghetti westerns everybody knows. Nobody had heard that shit before. I mean, no, all of a sudden you hear, then the little piano taps, dong, 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 dong. Well, you got that, but you've got he's got him incorporating whistling, and like you just did, a a a a man making a whooping sound. And you've got a lot of the Italian films. He had uh like female moaning, like these orgasmic. It wasn't singing. It was literally these female kind of moaning underneath strings. I mean, the guy was just. You talk about your brain box just being unique. Nobody else wired like that guy. To and and no two projects were the same. And uh, in uh, the in the in the biggest compliment that I can give him, he redefined genre music to where I cannot even list. I I cannot even look at a western piece of scenery without hearing his music. Well, no, I would say that's probably one of his things. I mean, he. Like you just said, I mean, he, if you, if someone says Western, that music will play somewhere in somebody's head. They will think like, Hey, uh, showdown at high noon. You're going to hear that music. If you hear that music, you're going to start looking around for the showdown. You just know what it is. I mean, in terms of, of, of a Western movie, I don't think other than, you know, someone like, you know, Copeland who did rodeo, that you know shaped a lot of that music as well. This is the other guy. He made the whole other half of the western. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, Leon did the, the, the lone cowboy aspect more so and, and really, you know, solidified that with his movies. But yeah, that's a good never... point, Max. I've got a, I guess I've got to make a little bit of room for uh, Copeland over there. It's kind of like a Beatles versus the Rolling Stones. It's going to be Copeland versus Ioni. Well, I mean, if you think about like, you know, those uplifting scenes in, movie, in a Western movie of people crossing the prairie in their wagons, yeah, go to Copeland. But if you think about that loner, but if you think about that loner riding up on his horse past that cactus with the vulture on it, boom, there, there's any, I mean, that's, you know, and, and there's those, that's basically your two genres. I mean, you know, you could have thrown some of Enio stuff into a John Wayne Western, and in some of them, it would have fit perfect because he was coming up as that loner. Yeah, and he, and he did a lot of, he did quite a few mainstream films, and, you know, it's not like he was such a, a, a weirdo eccentric that it, the, he, the music never overshadowed um, what was going on on screen. And he, he just knew how to give the movie exactly what it needed. So, um, boys, I am now prepared. really wish you guys were here with me. We used to pass this boot around. Uh, but I shall now chug the boot of remembrance to release Maestro Morricone's soul from purgatory into the heavens above. There's no doubt this guy's going to heaven with all the decades and decades of pleasure and joy he's brought cinephiles and audiophiles alone the guy deserves a big comfortable seat at the table so it's now up to me to get him there let's pray i don't fail I really feel like I should be smoking a cheroot. Uh, I would you did that with we have something approximating the look of it, but that'll be later. Come on. Yeah. Oh man. What, what was that? What was that, Doctor? Uh, that was done with porpoise. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now I'm just being crabby. Uh. Well, there. All of our due diligence is behind us. We've introduced the beers. We've introduced our first cigar. Uh, which I'm still really enjoying. Um, we've talked, we've literally talked inside baseball. Um, so now it's time for the third component of what makes the Tuesday Night Cigar Club podcast so special. The movie. Nobody talks movies like we do, boys. Nobody. Speaking of great themes. Who could argue John Williams... Just talking about him, his iconic Jaws theme won an Oscar for it. Here's what a workhorse he was, Tut. He was directing the orchestra pit at the Oscars when he won the Oscar. He had to climb out of the pit and go get his award. That guy just never stops working. Staged. But a good effect. 
I'm sorry, I'm a cynical bastard. Well, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you want to you want, kind of want to be a hipster about it, be like, yeah, John Williams. But then you're like, all right, Jaws, Star Wars, Raiders every Lost Ark. Lost Ark, like every like iconic Superman thing from our youth. It's, it's all him, like. <laughs> oh, but but Tut said he rips off Brahms. So I guess we should. Uh, so hey, Tut, should we cancel? Should we cancel John yeah. Williams? Yeah, John Williams doesn't smoke cigars. He mo- he smokes, or he actually does. It's just that the filler is money and the rapper is money, and he's just lighting it up, going, "Yeah, that Tut." Tonight's film, Jaws Three, or as it's often called, Jaws Three D. Three D. 1983, written by acclaimed novelist and screenwriter Richard Matheson. Now, this guy, I Am Legend, some of the most famous classic Twilight Twilight Zone episodes. He wrote Spielberg's first movie, Duel, which I consider one of his top three best movies. Um, Close Encounters. uh, Dude, the guy's written a gazillion fucking things. And then the script was touched up by the original Jaws screenwriter, Carl Gottlieb. So that's that's pretty impressive uh, hands, you know, typing up your script. The film is directed by Joe Alves. It is his first feature film, but he served as production designer on the first two Jaws films. Um, he had a, a lot on his plate in those films, so they kind of rewarded him with directing the third one, and he was also production designer, which if you really think back, what an amazing job he did on this film, Escape from New York. Oh, wow. On the first two Jaws movies and Escape from New York, but that that you, you, earned, a, you earned a ticket to take your own shot in the director's you chair. You did earn a ticket. I mean, all that shit with the, with the wreckage of the plane um, – in Escape from New York, he was responsible for bringing that in there, for finding that location. Just the Duke's Cadillac. Come on. Just, dude, that's all him. That's all Joe Alves. So uh, he got a shot here to direct a movie, and he would never direct another film again. But still, it was cool to see them give the keys to the car to a guy who actually earned it. Agreed. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of this thing... Um, Man, I'm still getting something really floral on the cigar cedar. That coffee creamy or the creamy coffiness uh, that I coined that term, and uh, it's a really pleasant, cool little cigar. It is. It is. Uh, and yeah, I, I think the transitions have kind of stopped. It never quite got to the leather stage that I was hoping it would. Yeah, get never to. got your leather. No. Uh, but it, it's it's staying on that on that cedar coming through there. And I'm still getting a bit of toast, too. You actually still getting the toast? A little bit of the toast. Getting, I don't know. That retro hail's pleasant. And a nuttiness. I'm not going to say, like, almond or anything like that, but there's... Cat- cashews. Cashews? cashews. Yeah, you could be right. There's it's something cat- there. It, it's cashews. All right, so we said... Creamy coffiness. I don't know. Cedar. Some floral notes. Now we got cashews, fig newtons. I mean, that's a lot of descriptors used here. Kate, is it drawing out any of the cocoa nibs? 
I've yet to experience the, the cigar has not helped the beer at all in bringing out the cocoa nibs. Okay. But perhaps, doctor, that's because I don't know what the fuck a cocoa nib is. What is a cocoa nib? I think you'll know when you find it. It's yeah. in there. All right. Actually, the uh, this is my second dragon's milk. Oh, then it's got my god! It's far too early to tell. I am getting a little bit of the vanilla, but I think that might be from the slightly mighty IPA I chugged out of the boot. You know, <laughs> now I've introduced. I introduced a third variable when I chugged that. I chugged that boot beer. Um. Okay. Well, uh, I think for the the size of it and the background, we kind of learned about how it was brought up through. Um, Trying to find a, a you know the first bundle cigar and something a little less expensive. I'm getting. I'll be honest. It, they kind of built me up to be disappointed, and I'm not. It's 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 surpassing what I thought it was going to be. Kate, I just yeah, I'm actually research for you. Cacao nibs are small pieces of crushed cacao beans or cocoa beans that have a bitter chocolatey flavor. Huh. Bitter chocolate? Isn't cacao the noise that Bruce Willis made when he orgasmed in Color of Night? Cacao! Yes. It totally was. Cacao! Cacao! That's how I remember it. Not that I think about that scene every day. Because I don't. Oh. All right, Jaws three three D. I kind of did a thing with the boot there in three D. Did you guys get that? Where I did, did you feel like the boot was coming at you? You're supposed to hold it there and let it kind of oh. float. Twenty seconds. I just <laughs> yeah, I failed. I, I failed you guys. Effective as the Jaws three opening credits. I failed you guys. All right. Well, as we kick things off gliding along the ocean floor from the shark's point of view, as these movies tend to do, it's how Jaws 1 opened, how Jaws 2 opened. The first thing I noticed was the departure. We've been talking quite a bit about John Williams. Uh, the departure of John Williams as composer. Uh, Williams composed the music for the first two films, but soundtrack duties here are taken over by a guy named Alan Parker. The score still utilizes some of Williams' iconic themes. Jaws themes, but you can definitely tell the difference in quality here, right? Yes. Yeah. That's the simplest explanation. That's, yes. That's a nice way to put it. Um, I mean, oh, it was serviceable. It was serviceable. God, I was going to use the same word, Ted. It was serviceable. <laughs> um, sorry, Alan Parker. Um, suddenly the shark bites the body clean off an enormous grouper fish. Yax, was that a grouper? It was indeed a grouper. Was it really? It was. I got it right. Okay. Uh, At least that's what it looked like. It was so dark. and It was very dark down there, but I, I used to uh, spend some time uh, with my, my grandparents fishing uh, on their sailboat, and they were, where we were in the Bahamas, there was a lot of grouper. We ate a lot of grouper. So I, I thought it looked, but it was an Well, the only other thing is, I mean, a grouper is actually a huge freaking fish. I mean, a grouper will actually eat sharks. It's so big. 
And for the size of our great white here, a grouper would be a snack, so it makes sense. So that's what I assumed it was. Well, we watched the poor fish's severed head float around in front of us for a good 20 seconds, its mouth still moving. While 20 seconds may seem like a long time, we got to allow it here because it's our first 3D shot in the film. So you have to imagine sitting in a packed theater in 83 and seeing this bloody fish head floating out towards you in the audience, which was very fucking cool. And I know because my Aunt Nancy took me to see Jaws 3D in Steubenville, Ohio in 1983, and I watched that fucking fish head fly towards me, and I loved every second. Same. It was my uh, first... 3D experience other than the Three Stooges on TV. Uh, it was my first movie theater 3D experience and my last movie theater 3D experience, except for Captain EO. I did go see Captain EO. Uh, I I actually have had two. I've had Jaws 3D, and then I believe Yak Boy and I went and saw Avatar in 3D. That is correct. That was my two big 3D experiences. Um, and I will say that that fish effect and that opening scene I remember it all these years later. Yeah. It was spot on good. And then the 3D title card soars up on the screen, which all these movies did. Uh, Friday 13th, part 3D around that same time period. Everything was just coming at you right in your face. Uh, and we're off. I'm going to try to educate our listeners as well as you three Nimrods tonight. I did a lot of research for tonight's show. And I'll start... It's a shark movie. We have we've done a few shark movies, but not a lot of them. Uh, do you guys know why sharks, great white sharks, live exclusively in salt water? Because that's their porpoise. No, Todd. No jokes. Okay. They live in salt water because pepper makes them sneeze. I'm out. I'll see you later. Next. We join a team of SeaWorld water skiers as they practice for an upcoming show. The girls stand atop the boys' shoulders as they're pulled around the water, all oblivious to the giant shark fin following them around. A young spitfire named Kelly isn't taking her responsibilities too seriously, though, and her goofing around causes the entire team to crash into the water. We look up from beneath the water at their flailing legs kicking away as they wait for the boat's engine to start up again. The guy driving the boat flooded the engine, which you can't do that at SeaWorld. you got to be ready to rock when it's time, when it's showtime. It should have been a much tenser scene with all these water skiers in the water and the shark POV. And I don't know quite what it was, music, editing. It just didn't have that classic Jaws sense of tension for me. Well, was it maybe the guy who was just, like, taking the gas on the boat back and forth? Like, it's flooded, but I'll just keep pumping more gas. I don't know what it was. something is going to happen just back I, and forth and, and forth. It just, oh, he was working it. I don't know what it was, but it's a running theme in this movie. There's just this lack of of dread and tension um, in, that, in that first scene right after the credits. And I was like, uh-oh. Um, well, I was really waiting. I mean, you could have just played some of that music and been like, oh, no, did you, it's like a late-night infomercial. Have you flooded your boat engine again? Oh. Are you with, are you, as a student of these films, though, Doctor, are you with me? There was something lacking from all of the, the, 
the shark moments? Uh, in general, yeah, that opening thing kind of worked for me, though. Um, but yeah, compared to the previous two films, there's a little bit of that. But uh, it's kind of like in Jaws 2 when that guy's doing the parasailing and he gets kind of tangled up underwater. Uh, so that, that, that opening part there kind of worked for me. But yeah, in general, I think you're right. Okay, okay. Well, on shore, we see new SeaWorld employees being trained for their big opening in one week. Well, their PR guy tells reporters that this week is preview week where family and friends of the park can get an early look at all the attractions. The highlight of the new park is the Undersea Kingdom, which has taken four years and 34 million bucks to construct. Guests can explore life 40 feet under the sea, if you will, watching maritime marine life. They can eat at restaurants down there, and there's even a cocktail lounge under the sea. Uh, I wonder if you get drunker faster under sea level. Uh, no, no, because of the no. pressure. Yeah. It actually takes more to get you drunk? Yes. Doctor? Just the test. Doctor, you're the scientist. As some sort of experiment, I, I'd like to try that out. We need to send the doctor down in the submarine and see what happens. Well, maybe not the submarine, just that undersea cocktail lounge. <laughs> This is all located in a man-made lagoon that is separated from the ocean by a big gate, a big chainmail fence, uh, link fence, essentially, like you have in your yard. Uh, I'll be getting back to this gate. Tut, have you brought out your nub tool? Yeah. So you are, you're blazing this thing. Um, are, are you almost done yet? No, I still got a pretty good amount. I'm doing all right. I'm nursing it. Tut, let me know when you're done. We'll do price point. I, I'm still kind of got a little ways to go, too. So just jump in when you're done. Okay. He, he's done. <laughs> <laughs> all of this wondrous creation is the brainchild of entrepreneur Calvin Bouchard. Doctor, who is playing Calvin Bouchard? The one and only, and a 1983 recent Academy Award winner, Louis Gossett Jr. He won an Oscar right before he did this movie. How crazy is that? Uh, I get, I guarantee you, my mom, because my mom took me to this, uh, and I think it's like the year, either the year she married my dad or the year before, and uh, I guarantee you, she saw Louis Gossett Jr the actor coming up and she was like, yeah, this is going to be good. Plus she's a big Jaws fan. I, that's why everybody goes to these movies. Nobody looks at the cast. I mean, it's a Jaws movie. Um, yeah, but this one's a Jaws movie with Lewis fucking Gossett. And Dr. Junior. Dr. He had won the Oscar for, was it Officer and a Gentleman? Officer and Gentleman, I believe just the year before. Okay. I got no place else to go. Well, you know, the Jaws franchise is kind of famous for that because Jaws 4 uh, featured Michael Caine. And I believe he had won something right before. Uh, won, he won an Oscar for Hannah and her sisters, and he couldn't accept the award because he was filming Jaws 4. Totally forgot about that. And they, they So this, the theme here is I'm riding high. I've got to bring it back down. i got to bring it back down. Well, I, think, I gotta take a risk. Take a risk. Universal with a paycheck. I think Michael Caine said it best. He's like, you know, I've I've never seen Jaws four, 
but I've seen the house that that it paid for every day, <laughs> and that's that it nice. <laughs> and it's nice. It's really nice. Um, well, I the, love that. The PR dude warns the reporters that they're uh, not to bring up Bouchard's colorful past when interviewing him. Wonder what that means. We never learn. We don't never they have like a chuckle too. He's like, please don't bring up his colorful past. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, we tell the people the same thing when we're talking about Tut. Hey, if you want to talk to him, that's fine. Just don't bring up his colorful past. Yeah, because then I get I get in a dark place. Yeah, we can't have that. Uh, you don't want that. You don't want that. Bouchard takes the mic and announces that today they are welcoming the one and only. Mr. Philip Fitzroyce with a capital R. Man's going to be here. Doctor, I'm going to rely on you for all the Lou Gossett Jr. stuff. Uh, they're welcoming Philip Fitzroyce with a capital R to the park. You know, the world-famous British oceanographer and photographer. Everyone here seems to know who he is. Is that a thing in the 80s that British oceanographers were pop were like world-famous? Well, French I think maybe ones he was were supposed to be their Jacques Cousteau, but not nearly as cool as Jacques Cousteau. Oh, I think he was way cooler than. I Jacques. think it was, I think Philip Fitzroyce was way cooler than Jacques Cousteau. Yeah, this dude. <laughs> I see people knowing Philip Fitzroyce. Yeah, this dude was getting. I was after. a Cousteau fan, right. and I, I well, think I'm, Philip's cooler. Man's gonna be here. <laughs> well, before. I did a thing because I was like, as soon as I was like, ah, oh, I remember this. You know, when you see something like, ah, oh, I remember. I haven't seen this in forever, so I remember things. But then I started thinking, oh, wait a sec. Just before we get to the introduction of, of Philip, I'm like, you know, hey, this is Philip, of course, being played by my namesake this evening, Simon McCorkendale. I, I did something I shouldn't have done. I looked up how old he was in this movie. Oh, God. Why? Why do you guys ever do this to me? Like 32? <laughs> 31. No! He was 31. <laughs> well, that's a good segue into Calvin Bouchard's next line. Follow me. There's drinks at the bar. They free. <laughs> Need them. Need all of them. Hey, just like that, the interviews, the news conference is over. The reporters are all, all right, now we're going to ask him about his colorful past. Oh, free drinks? All right. Put the cameras away. Let's go. Let's go. Pew. Yeah, I think it was Doctor, or years, not years and years ago. It was a couple years ago. I think the Doctor told me, he's like, man, it's hard to believe that Bruce Willis was this much younger than us in Die Hard. And I was just like, get the fuck out of here. Don't you ever say that kind of shit to me again. It was striking distance where he's really like, Hold Striking on, left yeah. that airline, and when I was like, "Man, you realize in this movie here, we're like two years older than he is right now." And you're like, "You shouldn't have choked me." You're like, "Shut up!" <laughs> I don't want to hear about that shit. Uh, I got enough problem. I got enough problems going on right now. Well, hey, the drinks at the bar, they free. <laughs> uh, and dude, those those that that, that press ah. that press team packs up their shit and goes straight for the drinks, TNCZ style. Down at the <laughs> down at the giant gate that keeps the ocean, you know those four giant 
oceans we have on Earth, separated from this lagoon that they've created. It's just a chainmail gate, like you keep your yard separated from your your backyard separated from your front yard. It's just a gate with a little latch. I'm sure that's safe. It took them four years, millions of dollars. Two men on this build. We spent all our money on that goddamn undersea kingdom. All we could get was this chainmail fence. A large shark has bashed into the gate, damaging it. And Mike Brody, played by a very young, let me guess, 20 years younger than us, Dennis Quaid, he's not happy about it at all. This is his responsibility. He's some type of manager at the park, and these issues are falling him. So he tells his men to get the gate back on the tracks ASAP. Doctor, uh, this is probably a lot of people's first screen interaction with Dennis Quaid, correct? Uh, it's one of his earlier ones. He was in a movie in the late 70s. Um, what's the name? is escaping me right now. But uh, yeah, I, He hadn't done a lot of things, but which is weird because after Jaws 3, he would go on to just inner space, the big easy. Um, he would just start rattling off big time stuff. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, Great Balls of Fire. I think he did. He get an Oscar nod for that? Maybe he may have. That was in the late eighties. Was Dream? Was he in Dreamscape? Dreamscape yes. was right after. That was actually one of the first ones after Jaws Three. Yeah, yeah this yeah. is really one of his earlier pictures. Uh, man, he's a movie star, and he shows it in this movie. He's got charisma out the ass. Um, he's such a natural on screen. Uh, you can see why the guys had a career. Still has a career up until now. Uh, I know, Yakboy, your favorite role of his was as Duke in the G.I. Joe movies. I need full visuals. That was the dude's only line in like all those movies. I need full visuals. Well, he was, uh, to your point, Kate, all these decades later, a movie that came out a year or so ago. I believe I wrote a review of it. The Intruder, was that- he was fantastic in that. You actually wrote a really positive review of that movie where he played kind of the psycho homeowner that uh, stalks the people that buy his, his family his family home. Uh, but he, my God, the guy still looks great. Uh, he does. And by all accounts, I have a friend who was at a bar in Austin. Uh, Quaid's a Houston boy. But uh, we, uh, I had a friend in Austin years ago who was waiting for a table at a restaurant and told his wife, you know, hey, I'm going to step outside for a cigarette. And all of a sudden, this hand grabbed his arm and was like, hey, mind if I join you? Can I bum smoke? And it was Dennis Quaid. And they went outside together, and the dude just bummed a smoke and talked to my friend for, you know, five minutes. And he said it was the coolest, most down-to-earth guy. He just... How cool is that? Yeah. Here uh, recently, I just watched. Uh, he, he, I forgot. He played a uh, Admiral Bull, or not Admiral, but uh, Bull Halsey uh, in uh, Midway, the remake. Uh, oh, that was yeah, that was a recent flick, right? The guys, the guys just never stopped working. Um, I, I will say my favorite Dennis Quaid picks. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, probably Inner Space. That was my first exposure to Martin Short, I think. Because that was before Three Amigos, correct? Yes. 
And um, I just thought Inner Space was such a fun film. I mean, it was. It was absolutely. It was basically introducing me to the Fantastic Voyage before I knew what that was. So I went on and read the Fantastic Voyage. But um, man, it's maybe it's sad the guys accumulated this this giant enormous body of work. But when I think of Dennis Quaid, because I'm a Jaws fan, because I'm a horror fan, I I still immediately think of Jaws three. And he's and he shouldn't be ashamed of this film because he's great in. I think of this one immediately too. Was he was he also in that movie The Right Stuff that came out? Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah he was in The Right Stuff. Dude, his his career literally blew up after this movie. Uh, this this movie did not hurt his trajectory at all. Um. Also, not in the bedroom. According to the book I read, this is what I read. Well, I knew that he dated actress PJ Souls of Halloween fame and Rock and Roll High School because she would bring him onto the set of Halloween, John Carpenter's original Halloween. And he was a supposed he was a, he was originally supposed to play her boyfriend Bob's character, who of course Michael Myers would kill Bob, stick him in the kitchen with a butcher knife and wear the, the sheet. That was supposed to be Dennis Quaid, and then he got another gig and couldn't do it. But apparently, they got married, and at the time of Jaws 3, he was married, Dennis Quaid was married to PJ Souls, and within a very short time on set, Quaid was banging Marty McFly's mom, Leah Thompson, on set, and <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's allegedly. Terrible. Allegedly, that's what the book I read about the Jaws said. Man with a porpoise. Man, a penis with a porpoise. Porpoise penis, which is better than a penis in a porpoise. Which is why that's Tut's not. Been. Which is why Tut's not allowed at SeaWorld anymore. Let's let's never talk about that again. Oh, you not the colorful past. <laughs> no, that's why we don't let reporters talk about no Tuts colorful about Jason Tuttle's <laughs> colorful past. <laughs> Open bar. Well, so uh, Mike Brody, and also I should mention Mike Brody. Obviously, he's the older son of Martin Brody, Roy Schneider from Jaws. He's the only character in all four Jaws movies that appears in all four Jaws movies. Um, he uh, hits, uh, Sean wrote, Sean gets killed in the the opening scene of Jaws four. I'm just here to fact check. Yeah, no, no <laughs> you're right. You're right. Um, so Mike then heads over to see his girlfriend, Catherine, who is Shamu's trainer and the park's lead marine biologist. She's taking the massive killer whale for a joyride around the pool as her co-workers report that Cindy and Sandy, the park's two lovable dolphins, are acting kind of weird today and they don't want to go out and play in the lagoon like normally. A lot of strange things going on here with the gate and the dolphins and... A lot of strange what stuff. Could it be? Could it be what, Yaks? A giant fucking shark? Who's going to suspect that? Nobody. Hey, do we want to take this moment to, to wrap this guy up? Mm-hmm. 
Yes, we do. Uh, I'm almost done. It's getting a little hot to the touch. Tut's burning his face off smoking this thing. Um, okay. Nice black pepper. A grape-like sweetness on the cold draw. I've gotten floral, coffee, cream, cedar. Uh, you guys have gotten fig newtons and toast. And an indiscernible toast. Could be Melba toast. Could be sourdough. Nobody knows. That's a hey. lot of Cornucopia of flavors. It's a cornucopia. And I would actually, I would actually classify it as uh, getting up to full body towards the very end. Uh, it's got, yeah, it's yeah, got that, some heaviness to it. I think the 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 intensified heat, the pepper maintained on the nose, but yeah, things did kind of build up a little bit. Um, I give it a, a full medium there at the end, which was surprising. Um, yeah, it's a really cool little cigar. It's a Rothschild, like I said, four and a half inches. Price point, boys. It ain't. Man, the, I got no clue. It ain't, it ain't the prettiest girl at the party, but she knows how to party. Hey, that's my specialty. Oh man, it's actually my favorite kind of women. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm clueless. I am literally clueless on this little cigar. Obviously, they've stepped uh, it up a notch. It's not a bundle cigar anymore. They're giving it a little more respect, and you know. Well, that that that, that kind of threw me for a loop when you you know told me that part of the history. I'm like, man. So they were. This is a lesser one, but they somehow have maintained the blend. But I'm sitting here going, if this is one of their blends from back then, and they thought it was only, hey, let's just shove this in cellophane and bundle it up, and we won't even give it to yeah, no doubt. Give you something quality in cellophane, my friend. Well, true, but it's still, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking now it being boxed normally, I, I'm still going to go that, you know. Yeah, boy, give me a price. Seven fifty. I'll punch it up a dollar. I'm going to go eight fifty. I'm going to go... Six dollars and forty-five cents. Yes. Let me check my notes. Six dollars and forty-five cents. I nailed it. It's a good, great price for that. Pretty story. good. Really, Pretty really good. Pretty good. Uh, well, these cigars were generously provided us by our show sponsor, um, J.C. Newman, for review. You can find them on sale right now at FamousSmokeShop.com and using promo code TNCC20 at checkout, you can knock that price tut down to $4.50 a stick. Look, if you guys Whoa. are watching, go over if you're on iTunes or listening to us on several other platforms. Check us out on YouTube. Yak Boy is holding up a gorgeous J.C. Newman ashtray. That we were gifted. Tut has got an Zycar J.C. Newman anniversary light, uh, cutter. These are high quality folks. They're the oldest cigar factory in America, and I'll, I'll be honest. Let, let's let's be let's be perfectly transparent here. We've reviewed some J.C. Newman stuff: the Brick House, um, uh, the Diamond Crowns, and we we weren't blown away. Um, so maybe this cigar with its history, it's kind of cool that this is 
maybe my favorite that I've had from those guys. Agreed? I will say that it is mine. Uh, you know, people say we sell out, and I just don't understand why they're going to sell. Say that, uh, I, I think that we're just humble guys just reviewing products. Chet, why don't you know, use that cutter? Why don't you use that cutter? Shows, we're talking Chet, your nose is growing exponentially like Pinocchio. Why don't you use the cigar cutter? We're just regular guys. We're just regular guys. I mean, you know, no, we're just I, doing our thing. I don't I, understand it. I think any credible cigar media source would tell you if you're reviewing something that's from a sponsor. Uh, but guess what? They were our sponsors when we gave the Diamond Crown, uh, the Black Diamond, the Brick House, uh, so-so reviews. We weren't blown away. Yeah, we were pretty hard on those. I yeah. was actually surprised when JC was like, yeah, yeah, we'll sign on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, no, we were signed on at that point. They, they, uh, yeah, we, we've never, uh, dude, the great thing about drinking while doing cigar reviews, there's no filter. You forget who gave them to you or where you got them within, you know, an hour into the show. Um, I really like this little cigar. It doesn't just apply to cigar reviews. <laughs> uh, no, it does not. Well, <laughs> hey. These are real reviews, Mincy. I, I didn't mean any offense. Let's not talk about our colorful past. <laughs> I told you not to talk about our colorful past. Um, oh, right over there. Well, to make, to, to make things even more weird, here's our next cigar. Let's explain this one because I have my questions. What do you think about that, Doctor? Have you ever seen one of these in the x-ray machine? Well, it kind of reminds me of those uh, commercials about men with erectile problems where they're all holding up like a crooked carrot or a squash. And it's all, we're not all created equally. And you see some middle-aged guy with like a habano <laughs> pepper. It's all bent. And he's all, ugh. Let me see yours, Yax. Hold yours hey, up. The cigar. The cigar. Oh, my cigar. Oh. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's hold them all up for the, there you go. Uh, Tut, hold yours up. It just Again, gets worse. Cigar. With cigar. There's no bad angle. So the history of the, this cigar is supposed to look like this. It's because he sat on it. He put it in his back pocket and he sat down on it. I'm going with. Back in 2019, or as I call it, the good old days, J.C. Newman started bringing the Brickhouse Culebra to their live sales events. It is a special presentation that is not available for sale. You can't track this down unless you um, are privy to an invite. The Culebra, I don't know if it's Culebra or Culebra, but it showcases three different Brickhouse blends. The Double Connecticut, which I am going to be smoking here. The Maduro, which Tut is going to be smoking. And the Natural, which Yak Boy is going to be smoking. What is a Culebra, you asked, Doctor? I think I heard you say that. Sure. A culebra is a tradition is traditionally comprised of three underfilled Panatella cigars. I think that's six by thirty-eight. But they're they're not firm cigars. They fill them a little bit different. And then they're intertwined together. They're snaked around each other and tied by ribbon at the end. Because culebra is Spanish for snake. So you've got these three kind of Cigars wound around each other with a snake-like appearance. 
They never achieved wide popularity, not even in Cuba where they were invented. Some say they were invented because the cigar workers were stealing too many cigars or smoking too many cigars. So they're like, all right, well, they're not telling us the truth about how many they've had today. So if we make, if we just let them smoke this shit, if they're smoking a straight cigar, we'll know they're full of, you know, they're lying. But nobody really knows where the hell this idea came from. Um, I'm here for the camaraderie, but I stay for the higher learning. There you go. The cigars are still made occasionally by some of the better cigar manufacturers out there. Occasionally? It's not men. Drew State has one. The Medusa. uh, Tatuaje does one. The Old Man in the Sea. Um, you, You see them every once in a while, but it's a very rare thing. Now, a lot of people say, well, do I... Do I light this thing up with three cigars strapped together and smoke it by myself? No, that is not what's meant to happen. They're meant to be the ribbon cut, unwound, and shared amongst three friends. And since all my friends have better things to do tonight, I thought I'd smoke them with you guys. Time to go ahead and hit this leave meeting button. Did I say that out loud? No, doctor, I was talking about those two guys, not you. You said three. We, we can hear you. No, there's three cigars. Th- those two guys. Doctor, you're good. I just feel weird with this because no matter which way I put it, it's never. Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> look, we're going to look stupid smoking him. Um, but yeah, it's a very unique cigar. And I figured, hey, who knows when we're going to all be able to get together and actually smoke these together. So we'll just do it tonight. And, hey, it pairs Jaws 3, three cigars. Now I see. That's how this shit tied into the movie. That's how it works. Expert pairing. Expert pairing indeed. All right, well, let me light up real quick. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing none of y'all's beers are blowing you away or causing you problems. Nope. Not that causing you are problems. correct, sir. Assessment. When I don't hear anything from you guys, I assume the beers are okay, and that's... If it was crazy good, you'd say something. It's working. This beer is doing exactly what I thought it would do. This beer I is what I thought it beer. is. My beer is fulfilling its porpoise. My beer is also fulfilling a porpoise. Dude, my my cigar won't even lay on my ashtray. Like it's all keeps falling off. Yeah. This is obviously not something you would ever like go into a lounge to like you know just be left alone, enjoy your night, and like. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I might do it. Tuts look like a wand from a Harry Potter movie. <laughs> hey, the wizard doesn't choose the cigar, Doctor. The cigar chooses the wizard. Well, that's true. Spot on. Well, Man, I must be a... <laughs> I, you know, I was going to say something bad. But... Uh, you guys just let it. We'll, we'll get back into it. Let me crack a beer. We, so there's a lot of strange shit going on at the SeaWorld. As I said, when Philip 
Fitzroyce with a capital R arrives in his stretched limousine. He is a world famous British oceanographer, after all. He is a sight to behold. Oh my God. Panama hat, striped ascot, tiny cigar. He's wearing Pierce Brosnan's khaki anthropologist clothes from Nomads. He's a sexy motherfucker, am I right? He is indeed. Yes. It's like I hear the theme from The Natural when he steps out of the limousine. Who is this guy? The The actor playing him. Who is he? Simon McCorkendale. And I know him... I know him from a few things. What do you guys know him from? Manimal. Manimal. As a kid in the 80s, if you watched TV, you watched Manimal, and he, he was a dude who would turn into animals, like Black Panthers, and he was Manimal. I also I recognize wasn't, him. I also if I wasn't him. watching Manimal, I was watching Auto Man. I'm Which sorry, just basically fucking cigars are killing me. <laughs> Doctor, yeah, there there is no way I can hold this cigar and it not just be like out like You had like the studious like Churchill approach and then you see this thing just bent southwest. I'm like <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> he was also a regular on Falcon Crest in the eighties. Yes, yes he was. Um God, this guy's something. All Mikey and Catherine can do is kind of shake their heads and laugh at the grand spectacle of this guy's entrance. But also arriving just then is Sean Brody, Mike's little brother. And for some reason, he's a cowboy college student in this film. Okay. Yeah. Dude, the Brody kids grew up in New York, then they moved to Amity Island, and now this... This young whippersnapper's got a country twang and wears cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. A backwards cowboy hat. He's, he's, gone to is, co- he's gone to college in Colorado. Yeah, but you don't change your accent and the way you speak at college. I mean, you do experimenting. You experiment in college, or they say some shit like that. That is correct. That is correct. Wasn't over the top twang, right? I mean, he 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 had adapted, uh, adopted a bit of a southern accent, but he, he was, you know, he had ran away from that horrors of the East Coast. To- but hey, but but Western Colorado is like, or Eastern Colorado, I think, is pretty agricultural, ain't it? I mean, in there somewhere, in, in somewhere in Colorado, said, hey, you put your head on this way. Well, that, but I mean, Catherine says later that. You know, he doesn't visit a lot, so Mike hasn't seen him in a while. Don't you think Mike would be like, dude, what's up with the cowboy hat and your voice? Like, <laughs> it's just kind of crazy, right? I don't know. I mean, he, he's, uh, if we oh. believe he's the age of a college student, he's gone out there to get away from this trauma, and he, he decided to adopt a little bit of a cowboy persona. It's kind of like, uh, what, what's her name in, uh, that Polly Shore movie where she comes back from the West Coast and she's like, "What's up, Nugs?" Encino. Uh, the only one saw it. No, not Encino. Man. In the army now. No. Biodome. Bio Bio oh. Bio We've named all his movies. God, he- no, there was a farm one where he was like, he's saying, "Thank God, I'm a country boy." Son-in-law. There you go. Good job. Come yeah. on, Tiffany Amber Thiessen doing a dance to. Travis Tritt, T R O U B L E. No, Tud, no, no, it was not Tiffany Amber Thiessen. 
Yeah, it was. No, it was uh, uh, Kay. Do you remember the actress? She was in Sin City. Attractive woman, Carla Gugino. Oh, yeah. Nope. No. Nope. I'm going to have to agree with Ty. Tiffany Houston was in Son in Law? Yeah. She was. Yeah. Come on, don't she don't ask me. Don't like be like me. asking me what Jesse Sopran, uh, Jesse Spano is doing now. I know my Saved by the Bell. You know what? What, what, what is Jesse Spano doing right now? I'm, I mean, is I'm something we watch? I'm gonna not fight anybody on this because I am proud of the fact that I do not know my Polly Shore movies. <laughs> yeah, it's you have nothing to apologize for, Doctor. Uh, but if you Son in the Law is a great or Son in the Law is a great movie. I think it's Son in Law, not Son in the Law. Yeah, you're you're really sticking a fork in your credibility here, Todd. You don't know the name of the movie. It's got sons. Have you guys ever known somebody though that you like knew them well and then you bumped into them after a few years and they were speaking in a different regional dialect and like completely transformed that's just crazy i'm sure all my friends are like oh man ever since he got up to austin he talks different he thinks different i just thought it was comical enough to where they were uh, i can't believe i didn't mention this sooner in development for this film after jaws 2 one of the directions the producers thought about going was because of the popularity of the airplane movies they were going to do a spoof it was gonna be. It was gonna be called Jaws Three People Zero, and but get this, it was going to be. It was, a script was written by John Hughes, the John Hughes of Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink and all those. And it, supposedly it was really really funny, but I could see that like Sean Brody showing up in cowboy hat and suspenders and, uh, but I guess they they thought that would work here too. So okay. Isn't the back of the they were going to have Peter Benchley? Because well, the actor. Uh, sorry, you have to go ahead. No, he got what he deserves. He froze after interrupting you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the floor is yours, Doctor. Uh, I was just going to say, wasn't wasn't the 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 uh, it was National Lampoon's three or? Yeah, it was going it was going to be a National Lampoon's movie directed by Joe Dante of Gremlins and uh, the Howling. Well, maybe uh, from the parody film, you know, Sean Brody was supposed to come in as like a rodeo clown or something. And so they just tried to sneak it in. What if he was a rodeo clown and he came out of the barrel and a shark in the bull, like in the in the rodeo, like a shark came in and it, that'd be funny, right? Or he's like a shark rodeo clown. He I'm jumped in the water to get the shark's attention. I'm starting to see why they didn't make this movie. <laughs> Uh, and thank God they didn't, because then we wouldn't have Jaws 3D. Uh, well, anyway, uh, Mike is so happy to see his little brother. They give each other a big hug. And then Sean grabs Catherine, his brother's um, girlfriend, and kisses her really hard on the lips. And they all and they all hit off to get they all hit off to get some drinks. Hey, uh, little brother. Hey, Todd, this was just his You've got a sister-in-law. You ever give her a hard smooch on the lips? No. Good answer. Good answer. Yeah, I thought that was weird. He really laid one on her. <laughs> but then Mike, he's, he's had a long day. He's like, let's get drunk. I'm like, okay. That kind of family. Yeah, my kind of family. Speaking, not the kissing each other's wives thing, the getting drunk all the time. Uh, I can relate to that. Speaking of drinks... You know who I hear makes some of the world's finest bourbons, boys? 
Who's that, Cade? That's right, Tut. The Van Winkle family. Oh. And did y'all know that they're also involved in the creation of one of the world's most interesting cigars? Maybe. I've heard it a few times. I think you know where I'm going. I'm talking about, of course, the highly complex, masterfully blended Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve Barrel Fermented Cigar from our friends at Drew Estate. The Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve Barrel Fermented Cigar is a long filler premium cigar rolled in limited quantities at La Gran Fabrica Drew Estate in Esteli, Nicaragua. Deep barrel fermentation is the key process that makes this expression vastly different from anything else on the market. Hand-selected leaves from Kentucky are packed into small torquettes, or doctor for the scientific-minded folks in our audience, just big fat bundles of tobacco, Mm. um, which are then shoved and loaded strategically, shoved strategically into oak bourbon barrels. Water's then added while mince pressure is applied to the torquettes via railroad jacks, not car jacks, not jumping jacks. Not Wolfman Jacks. Bye, how you doing? Railroad Jacks. The tobacco is removed two to three times per year. It's shaken out, then repacked. We've seen the process. It's mind-boggling, awesome to watch. The total process of fermentation takes 12 to 18 months, leaving a truly unique flavor profile and aroma. The Pappy Van Winkles Family Reserve Barrel Fermented is now available at brick-and-mortar Drew Diplomat retailers everywhere. Seek them out. Seek them out. Cade, one should only ever shove strategically. Otherwise, you're just a bully. Yeah. You're a tobacco bully. And those I shove, do it strategically. Those are the hey, worst, Alex, worst kind of bullies. I got, I, got this on the, I got this on the break. Hey, you're drinking out your can... O'Brien's, uh, your Oktoberfest mug? That is correct. Year 2010. Man. Are the ones we drink out of the show bigger than that, Yaks? Yes, they are. That's the... That looks tiny. That is a half liter. We drink out of full liters? Yes, we do. Hey, it's doing the best it can. Don't make fun of it. It's a September fest. No, it's a September fest. (laughs) Hey, Todd, nobody's judging you, man. It's a cool cool mug. (laughs) Totally judging him. Uh, Well, that night, as I grab another beverage... In a simply beautiful wide shot, you've got the gate separating the lagoon from the ocean. We've already made fun of that enough. The evening sun is burning a hole through the sky in the background with the vast ocean underneath it. There's a lonely oil platform far off in the distance. Wow, it is a gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It is as beautiful an establishing shot as anything in the original Jaws. And then you see the scuba diver who's responsible for locking it up walk out and just drop down into the ocean. Oh, it's just beautiful. This has got to be one of those things when you're in the editing room and you see it, you're just like, oh, oh. oh. Like you just just got done editing the Sean Brody uh, kissing his 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 brother's girlfriend stuff. You're like, what now? Oh, shit, this looks okay. (laughs) Let's erase that with the most beautiful, picturesque thing we can think of. Dude, you know what? He superimposes a sunset over Sean Brody's head. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But after that, let's let's kill somebody. (laughs) Let's take let's let's we erase Sean Brody. 
Yes. We're going to bring in this beautiful shot, and then we should just totally just scar that. Well, I love, and Doctor, you'll know what I'm talking about here. In, in all good shark movies, they have this, the good ones, they have this way of showing you the beauty and safety of what's above the sea. And then some poor fool goes down under it and shit happens. And it's like, no, you should have stayed up there. Like beautiful. it's beautiful, beautiful and safe up there. Deadly. Everything's fine up there. Although now the world's so fucked, you're probably better off down there. I don't know. There's a, there's a perfect balance of that. Um, have you ever seen Shallows? With the, no, I wanted to. It looked really good. And I, always, I always say her name wrong. Ryan Reynolds' wife. Blake Lively? Lively? Lively. Is it Lively? I always I've say heard it. it both ways. Uh, yeah, Todd, I have. I've said it both ways. So, <laughs> uh, But she when she's on her surfboard, it's just great camera work. She just keeps kind of like popping up and below the water line. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of like you're, you're up on that platform, you're safe. The minute you dive down there with your flippers, uh, you've entered the ecosystem. Well, you've entered the food chain. The 47-meter the films did a really good job of that, too. It's like you're hot young girls, and you're just you're, – you've got the – you're hot, a bunch of hot young white chicks. You've got the whole world in the palm of your hands as long as you want it. Like life's going to be great for you as long now as – Now let's you, go down to the sharks. As long as you stay up here, everything's awesome. No, yeah. I want danger. Yeah, that never turns out good, does it, Doctor? Oh, give me some tequila jello shots in a loosely packed cage, and let's go. Yeah. Uh, our second most uh, viewed episode ever. Approaching 300,000 YouTube views. Woohoo! How about that? Nice. Uh, well, yeah, this uh, this guy that we see go out there and jump in, this poor mustache bastard named Shelby... He's no fear. He straps on his goggles and jumps in. No, just a snorkel. No, uh, no scuba tank. It's his task to secure the lagoon's gate, you know, the chain link fence, for the night. And because it takes him way more time than it should to wrap a chain and padlock a fence, it's literally. I mean, it's just a bicycle lock. I mean, it wouldn't be that hard to, you know. You're at a state-of-the-art aquarium. The the top of aquarium technology and you're locking it up with a bicycle chain. Dude, the guy came to mow my lawn today. I went out to my gate. I've got a little padlock on it. it. took me like five seconds. This guy, he's fumbling. He's looking over his shoulder. You know, he keeps hearing fish around him and... Well, we'll find, we'll find out later why. Uh, and then eventually he looks over and there's a shark mouth and he's gobbled up by a big shark. Another by you beautiful mustache. Another moment here, guys, that had potential for some real tension, but I just thought it it felt a little flat. Uh, not like some of the earlier stuff, but I love the POV shots from inside the shark's mouth as it's eating Shelby. That's a new one in the Jaws series. Yeah. I love getting inside the shark's mouth and seeing it go all that. Um, we do get to see Shelby's severed arm floating towards us for a good while in 3D, so that's cool. It actually looks pretty dang good. Uh, I mean, back to the back of the day. Like they always do. Yeah. Yak boy, when we were inside the shark's mouth and it was eating Shelby, you know, whenever you see footage of, especially in the original Jaws, when he's feeding a chum and it comes up with its big teeth. Uh, do you know what the technical term is for that white chunky stuff that hangs off the shark's teeth and gums? Dropping a little knowledge on you. 
Um, oh, all right. What 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 is the the technical term? I'm not going to apologize for teaching you boys something tonight. That is called slow swimmers. Slow swimmers. I was going to go with viscera, but uh, yeah. we would but, have also we would have also accepted viscera. Doctor, you're not wrong. Thank you. Gonna, By the way, I, I'm going to stick I, with uh, Doc's answer. He is a doctor, after all. Respectfully, have to disagree, Kate. I, I thought that that scene had some some tension. I mean, you kind of know something's going to happen, obviously, but yeah, it, but I just it didn't fail for me. I'm going to chalk it up to scoring. Maybe there's something with the John Williams score underwater where it was just kind of there's a little more dread or something, but it had all the the filmmaker gave the editor all the right tools cinematically. Yeah, I, I think I think it was back to I think the editing had a lot of the, the uh, cuts kind of removed some of the stuff. Yeah, it kind of removes just some of the tension, you know. Just, I thought so too. I thought so too. A little less fumbling on the lock, a little bit more of that of a wide away view of the guy. They cut to it a couple times and it was this beautiful wide shot of him at that giant fucking gate. Um, all right. At a nearby why couldn't device, they, it still just makes me wonder why couldn't they put the lock on the top of the chain link fence? You, you could have sense. <laughs> I mean, just worst case scenario. It opens a little at the bottom. Some more fish get in. It's sea world. Isn't that a good thing? Well, if we really want to dig deep into this, didn't Mike Brody give them that order hours ago during the daylight? So if all he had to do was put a padlock on, maybe he's been drinking on the job? I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll learn later. It sounds like that might be a, a thing with Shelby. He, he's, oh, not the, like that. he's not the most responsible uh, employee. At a, we're going to actually learn that right now. At a nearby dive bar, the waitress, Charlene Tut, hey, our first, hey, hey. our first character in a film named Tut. All right. He spells it with two T's. I've Short it, for Tuttle. I've seen it spelled both ways. Mm-hmm. She asked Mike if he knows where her no-good, cheating, mustache boyfriend Shelby is. Uh-oh, we know where he is. Just like a Tuttle. She <laughs> 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 Working at a dive bar and making bad decisions? There you go. Okay. Hey, that doesn't describe you at all. Oh, other Tuttles. Other Tuttles. She, of course, assumes that Shelby's screwing around with that little bitch from the souvenir stand, and she's ready to kick his ass when he shows his handsome, mustached face again. Been there. I guess it's a good thing he doesn't have a face anymore. Nah. Nah. Little brother Sean then challenges our cute water skier, Kelly, to a game of standoff which I describe if it made any sense, which it doesn't, so I'm not going to try. It's I have no clue. It's basically where a 114-pound chick can push over a 300-pound linebacker. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't get the dynamics of standoff at all, so I think you're right. Let's move on. But I do say next time we're all able to congregate the pub together, we get some serious standoff matches going. I can see that ending in... Bloodshed. But okay, I guess if I'll be there with my first aid kit, perhaps I can administer it poorly. Is uh, Miss Thompson going to be there? I think she's uh, she's a tentative. Maybe we'll find, we'll find a Miss Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, if. And now but, participating uh, from the East German gonna, team. It's going to devolve into that bar. It'll probably just devolve into that bar fight from Hooper. <laughs> Looking at you, Doc. You're yeah. the one to start it. Um, Doc breaks out the football helmet. It's on. But <laughs> the game of standoff does provide Sean an opening to get Kelly drunk. So, you know, whatever works. They go over and join the Brody clan at their table, and the Michelobes begin to flow like seawater. Living it. Uh, and she it likes his. What was this restaurant? Remember, like earlier in the day, uh, he says he's going to take uh, Mike Brodus is going to take his girlfriend Kay out to dinner. She gets all excited, and that's where dinner was. This place. <laughs> yeah. oh, no, Charlene Tut, the waitress, scoops up some greasy baskets of like fries and shit from their table. Like, good job, Mike. Dinner. Good job, Mike. Uh, hey, the Michelobes are cold. That's all that counts. Uh, and Kelly really likes Sean's charming Southern accent. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. All the pain I've experienced in my life is right here in my eyes. I'm just telling you, when I was... thought it wasn't that bad. When I was, uh, you know, relaxing on the east coast of my Massachusetts cottage. He actually, uh, the guy played Sean, is actually a big TV director. A very successful run uh, directing television. As Mike and Catherine walk home along the beach... She asks why Sean doesn't come to visit more often. He explains the baby brother hates the ocean because of that shark attack when we were kids. I told you about it. How's that for the understatement of the century? You know, the first shark attack where I nearly got eaten as I watched my Boy Scout leader get bitten in half as Sean watched it on horror from the beach as a little kid. Oh, and then my dad blew up the shark, literally, uh, well, that was Jaws 1, of course. Or the second shark attack on my family, Jaws 2, where Mike almost got eaten again while sailing with his buddies, and Sean's babysitter got munched to pieces right in front of him. Mm-hmm. You know that you know that shark attack. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so can we forgive the guy for deciding he's going to start wearing a giant belt buckle and a cowboy hat and just, you know... And forgive a lot of things, but why are you wearing the hat backwards? He's learning. Look, He's doing the best he can with the resources available to him at the time. Look, I mean, if he like showed up out in like some like old rickety truck, dropped him off, and <laughs> he's got his hat on, and he's like got the, like a guitar slung over his back, like the like the beginning of Hot Dog when the country skier gets dropped off. At yes, the, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there would be like reason, like uh, just. And just literally like beer cans spilling out, like ugh. Hey, Lone Star cans. Well, no, yeah, shit, no, no shit. Sean doesn't like the water, and guess what? Mike shouldn't want anything to do with it too. He's working at SeaWorld. He's such vivid memories of sharks. They're no big deal. Mike's I mean, brave. Mike, footer. Mike's Mike's brave. Mike no, Mike's confronts Mike, his, Mike confronts his fear. No, Mike's a heavy beer drinker and a chain smoker. He's burying his fears. No, 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 no. I Mike can, knows. Mike knows how to handle pressure. I can. No, he's burying that shit deep, and I can respect that. He's, well, he's, you already can tell that he's like, let's go out for a nice dinner, and they end up in a dive bar. You know, he's just drinking it away at this point. Not everybody can eat at the Neptune Lounge. <laughs> That's how you handle pressure, my friends. Not on a salary of whatever it is that Mike does that we don't know. 
Seems like he had a fairly important job. It does. Apparently, he's so. like in charge of the everything. Well, it's a good but, salary. He just needs to go to these dive bars because that's where he can get fucked up the fastest. Well, yeah, dollar fifty Michelobes. You're not going to pass that shit up. <sighs> Speaking of Mike, he tells Catherine that he got a job offer in Venezuela earlier that day. So who knows how they're going to make that work as far as their burgeoning relationship goes. But they seem in love and determined to make it work somehow as they hug. Good for them. Good for them. Yax, did I use the word burgeoning correctly? You did. You did indeed. Fucking A. As for aquaphobic, Sean, is that the fear water, Doctor? Aquaphobia? I believe it might be. I made it up. I was either hydrophobia or aquaphobia. I went with aquaphobia. I think it's I think it's hydrophobia. Yeah, I think aquaphobia is the fear of Aquaman. Or Aqualab. Or Aqualad. Oh, I've got that for sure. Yeah, he's a pretty scary I, little. I thought it was that you were afraid to wear aqua velva. It could be that too. Or I you think... got caught with your Aquaman underoos. That's not, not Aquaman underoos. Yeah, because I didn't tell him. I swear, I don't know where he got that from. Your secret's safe with me, buddy. You, you this whole time. Oh, and I guess all our listeners know. I'm so sorry. Well, as for aquaphobic Sean, it turns out that there's something that can lure him into the water after all, after all these years and tragedies. Hot ass. Oh, more, yeah. more specifically, Marty McFly's mom's hot ass. Woo! Hot indeed. Yes, Leah Thompson, who up to this point, the casting agent or whoever suggested her, she'd only appeared in a Burger King commercial before this movie. Thank you, casting agent. Thank you a lot. That was before, that was when they had real commercials and not that creepy Burger King guy with the big mask. Uh, whoever, whoever approved that campaign ad is a, more crazy than we are. Uh, that's, no, that's just a commentary on our world where people would – because that's a very popular campaign – and that agency, yeah, and that agency wins awards off of that campaign. So that means our society would rather see that plastic head Burger King than a young Leah Thompson Leah eating a hamburger. Hmm, wrong. If I'm watching TV and I see a young twenty-year-old Leah Thompson eating a Whopper, oh. I'd probably, I'd probably eat one. That makes me want to risk cholesterol blockage. Let's yeah. do this. It makes it makes Sean want to risk a swim in the water. Yeah, I mean that's that's a big a big move for him. Uh, well, she strips, she strips down to her string bikini, and Sean follows her out. Reluctantly, he doesn't like the water, but he, he's following her out into the lagoon, lickety-split. Meanwhile, nearby, there's two bozos out in a boat, a raft, illegally scuba diving for coral. And they get gobbled up by the killer shark in another boring-as-hell kill scene. Oh. Dude, they, we don't even go underwater this time. Like, a guy goes underwater with a flashlight. The flashlight goes out. And next thing you know, the shark pulls the boat underwater and eats the guy and then eats the boat. We, we don't, there's no tension. We don't see anything. I did like that raft getting eaten and pulled under. Like pulled together, yeah. But don't you think like him underwater with the coral and the flashlight, that could have been expensive to shoot, but cool. Oh, and it makes no – I'm trying to – at this point, I can understand the shark. I'm eating people. But I've already eaten two dudes. What's the shark thinking? You know, I can't leave any evidence of the killing I've done, so I've got to get rid of this raft. Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe he thought the raft was just an enormous seal. It could have been. 
I understand that they don't have great eyesight, although I don't know how you would find that out because I don't think you can submit a great white shark to an eye test. But I think that that's part of it is that they don't they don't see very well and move by by feel. But even then, the the raft is just sitting there. Yeah, and it's not like a so boat. The dinosaurs of the ocean. If you don't move, they can't see us. Uh, uh-uh, no way. Uh, yeah. I've seen shark weight. They uh, can sense electricity in the water, so they can actually feel the electricity your heartbeat produces, and they'll track you exactly through that. Hey, whenever I'm in the open water in my Speedo, there's electricity all over the place. <laughs> uh, there are so many things about that statement that need to be reconsidered. But Is we it know you don't possibly go like to electrocute yourself? To, so I'm, I'm guessing it's the churning of the water as everybody is fleeing the scene. That's, I, you know. I've been banned from South Beach in Florida for 17 years, and I stand by that banning. That, that was a good call for them. Okay. Hey, nautical question. As you guys know, I spent many a summer in my youth in my grand, on my grandparents' sailboat in the Bahamas. Um, you know, around the, these guys' boat got sucked down in the water. And we see a couple other uh, speedboats. Uh, you know that rubber rim that goes around every boat? Um, do you know what that's called? That protective kind of rubber uh, band that goes around the edge of every boat? The bumper? The bumper. Those are actually called shark absorbers. <laughs> it just wanted to stop. Oh, why can not I have been on that raft? Like shock, like shock, shock absorbers, but yes, yes, yes. No, we, we understood the. Uh, okay. Understood. Uh, so, anywho, luckily Mike and Catherine stumble across the two young lovebirds making out in the water just in time, and spoil their fun. They they get a microphone and pretend like they're the Sea World Police, um, and. They get them out of the water right before the shark probably would have eaten them alive because those coral guys stealing coral, right? They could hear the coral guys could hear uh, Sean and Kelly. It would have been very difficult as we will. I mean, how the shark would have gotten to them considering how big the shark is. I mean, it's not like he could have come popping up out of the water. No, no, no. This is still a relatively normal size shark at this point. Oh, is it? This is the one that they, yeah. We're not talking about. We're, you're jumping the. Sh- you're jumping the shark. You're jumping the. Sh- oh. uh, they weren't in very deep water. I know that that's. You don't have to be for a shark attack, but they were yeah. really about knee deep or so. Um, for normal sized sharks, they could have got them. Um, the next morning, it's time to get back to work, as SeaWorld isn't going to get itself ready for the big grand opening, and for Catherine, the senior biologist. That means taking time out from training her dolphins to deal with Mr. Philip Fitzroyce, who's making himself quite comfortable around the park photog- photographing all the action. He's a cocky son of a bitch, isn't he? Yeah, he is. She's like, can I help you? I doubt it. I'd like to speak to someone in charge. Because she's a woman. She can't be in charge. And I realize I, my English accent is in Australian. We've been down this room before. I Looking for someone in charge. Thank you, Doctor. I don't have an English accent. It's all Australian. Bloomin' onion. It's a drunken Russell Crowe Australian. <laughs> Nico Kidman. <laughs> Cody, that's just called Russell Crowe. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> Meanwhile, Mike is checking some pressure gauges because that's a part of his job, whatever that is. When Charlene Tut with two T's shows up with a duffel bag full of Shelby shit. Come on, sister, get it. He and his mustache didn't come home last night, and I'm through with him. Some bitch tosses it at Mike. Is that a regular occurrence for you, Tut, where some woman shows up and throws a bag at you? He didn't come home last night, Jason. Where is he? You, know, you don't have to answer that. for. Do, do, do I need a lawyer? No, no, you're fine. Probably. As your as your astute podcast host, I know when it's time to keep things moving. But you can go ahead and answer the question, Tut. Oh, I play the fifth. Okay. Good move, good move. Headboard. Only when my only when Mike tells That's my government class kicking in. Mm. Oh God, Tut's in college now. Is he gonna start talking in a different accent? <laughs> I can't. I've tried. Howdy, boys. <laughs> no, no, Tut's gonna go the other. Route. He's gonna take on the New England accent. He's hey guys, you watched the Sox game the other night? They beat the fucking Yankees five to four. It was fucking beautiful. Like he's going to college. <laughs> Online, like that's even weird that it's online. It's Texas, why are you talking like a Red Sox fan? Ah, <laughs> fuck those guys. We're going out of the Cape this Saturday for some Red Hook Lagos and some chowder. Tut, Tut's really assimilated into his online college courses. That's right, in a way that none of us can understand. Yeah, uh, only when Mike tells Charlene that Shelby didn't report to work either, I just figured he was hung over again, TNCC style. Well, they're both now concerned. So concerned that Mike and Catherine jump in a tiny submarine and go down in the lagoon to look for his drunk ass. Wouldn't it be cool if in 3D, as they were going down there, they found his bushy mustache floating towards the submarine in 3D? Well, they should pay some homage to the mustache. Perfectly intact, just floating for 20 seconds. I don't see anything but some sort of fuzzy caterpillar. Oh, my God. You see a fish. Swim by with the mustache. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's stuck to a trout. <laughs> Wait, isn't that the feeder fish of a great white? What's that on his face? Oh my god, it's a selic fish. No, it's on the shark. It's right above his mouth. <laughs> great whites always look like they're smiling. No, no, like, it's not a selic fish. That's more like an Elliot fish. Uh, uh, well, I, can, I think we can all agree if a fish swam by wearing Shelby's severed mustache intact. This movie would be better than the first Jaws. <laughs> Bold statement, but right up there. Either that, or it proves that they actually started filming the spoof movie. Or that would totally belong in Jaws 3, <laughs> People Zero. As they zoom around the under the sea, the trained dolphins, uh, Cindy and Sandy, keep harassing them barking at him in that little dolphin voice. Something really has these dolphins spooked. Um, Keep in mind, these dolphins are so highly trained by Catherine herself. She's one of the foremost dolphin training experts in the the world. But, you know, what you'll never see them do at SeaWorld, what you see kind of them do at some other places with those long noses of theirs, do you know why they don't train them to play basketball? Why? They're afraid of the nets. Sorry. But seriously, these are really smart mammals. And so sometimes like jumping the shark he's, he's podcast style. I think the doctor just ran away. <laughs> uh, no, some scientists, getting back to the, the real stuff. Wait, some, is that an option? So, no, it's not. 
Some scientists believe they are the closest dolphins to human-level intelligence, even higher than uh, some apes and chimpanzees, and especially their emotions are almost on a human-type level through the research they did. Do you know that dolphins even blush? I didn't yeah. know. I did not know that. Crazy, right? Yeah. yeah. Apparently, they blush when they see the ocean's bottom. So sorry. It's all right. Well, when Mike and Catherine... Exit, I should have choose, chose a stronger beer. When Mike and uh, Catherine exit the submarine, it's they, they park it down on the bottom of the lagoon, and they swim out to check a sunken pirate ship, part of the freshly created undersea attraction. What is the pirate thing called, Yanks? The Spanish Galleon. The Spanish Galleon. Uh, as they look for Shelby's bloated, drunken corpse, they are almost immediately attacked by a pretty sizable great white shark. Now, this shark yaks, I mean, it's its big, but it's not ridiculously big. No. Um, okay, so am I the only one who's like, this is a Jaws movie, and that's what you're bringing me? Yes. Well, I am, um, when we see it again, that first shot of it ramming the Spanish Galleon was kind of deceiving because it looked pretty kind of big. But then when you you see it in some other scenes, um, well, Mm. let me just get to this. Fortunately for for Mike and Catherine, the two dolphins swoop in to rescue them, and they hold onto their fins as they're carried away to safety. But here's where I think you're going, Tut. The real shark footage interspliced here was terrible. Sometimes the shark looks huge. Sometimes the shark looks small. Sometimes a shark has like a rope in its mouth. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. I, I didn't see that. Yeah, there's one time where they show the shark. It's not even a really big great white. It's just got this random rope hanging out of its mouth. Like they just they just cut together. And that was one. That was my only criticism of the original Jaws. I think Shelby was editing this. <laughs> Drunk Shelby. <laughs> but no, there's there's a couple underwater shark, real shark sh- shots in Jaws with Dreyfus underwater, when you're seeing this huge fake shark bashing the cage, which looks great, but then you're cutting to some real shark footage where it looks like a normal great white, and not even a really impressive one. And it's just kind of like, oh, why'd they use that? Like, I understand some real shark footage adds some uh, nice real reality to the proceedings. Yeah. But you just showed me the most monstrous thing, and that, that shark you just showed doesn't look like... This shark footage is all over the place. Uh, I mean, I was just coming from the fact that, you know, coming off of Jaws 1, Jaws 2, those things were just massive Mack trucks. And then yeah. this, I saw this, and I was like, oh, Well, okay. we're going le- to learn that that's, that's intentional, actually. Um, when they reach the safety of the dock, Mike keeps screaming, What was that? What the hell was that? Uh, he handles pressure well. Dude. He's experienced like three or four great white shark attacks in his life up close, and he knows what it is better than anybody. It's a fucking shark. Uh uh-uh, uh, it's PTSD, post traumatic shark syndrome. No bad jokes, Todd. Not tonight. Ah, oh, come on. I'm gonna, I gotta side with Tut. That was, that was all right. Oh yeah, I that, can that, dig that, it. I can dig it. You just missed it by the wordplay. If you had said post traumatic uh, shark disorder. But otherwise, that that was the best joke I've heard all night. It wasn't bad. (laughs) It wasn't bad. 
Your last name's Brody. You know what a shark looks like. I think he would actually have been like, you know, maybe he is freaking out. And she's going to be like, well, that's a shark. No, no, that's too small to be a shark. <laughs> that's it. Like, Now, I've seen sharks. They're at least 40 feet long. Look, they can eat entire boats. That's not a shark. What is that thing? Mike, I am an oceanographer. I know what a shark is. Look, my dad was on the Slaps a piss out of her, and all of a sudden the movie Let me tell a- you the story about the USS Indianapolis. I was on the Indianapolis. Like, what the hell? <laughs> uh, down in the undersea restaurant and lounge, I believe the Neptune Lounge, Calvin Bouchard is treating Mr. Philip Fitzroyce with a capital R, and his assistant, <sighs> his English assistant, Jack Tate, to some surf and turf and a couple beers. My man. When his PR guy interrupts their meal with news of the shark attack, the boss man ain't pleased. We haven't haven't dinner here. (laughs) Wait a minute. We we haven't dinner here. But, 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 sir, the the, the shark. We haven't dinner here. (laughs) Not over there. Over here. Boucher, he actually does point to his plate. Not over there. Not behind me. We haven't dinner here. He tells Bouchard tells his two VIP guests that they should come along with him. We should all probably check this out. When Fitzroyce gets wind that a great white shark is nearby, his eyes light up. This could be a stroke of good luck. He promises Bouchard that if he lets them kill it on camera, I can guarantee you media coverage, mate. I can guarantee you media coverage. I don't understand. Like, he's a photographer, you know... He shoots wildlife with his photo, but he just wants to kill this thing. Yeah, he wants to slaughter it. <laughs> That's not, I haven't seen photographers like that. Well, have you? Well, ever maybe been- he basically he should have like come clean, like you know, like right now. Just after I take the picture, I kill everything that I take the picture. <laughs> I have reels and reels of film of young girls who I've then murdered. Hey, hey, hey. We don't want to hear about no murders here. Those are snuff films. Doctor, I'm going to leave the Bouchard to you. I don't I know what right here. I can't do I can't do a uh, English accent. I can't do a uh, uh, Louis Gossett. After I hunt my prey, I actually murder all of them. <laughs> then he gives that great line, Calvin, they die wondrously. Or they die magnificently. <laughs> Whoa, 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 you're making me an accomplice here? Like, I don't want to get an accomplice here. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go back and have my dinner over there. <laughs> <laughs> now I almost got my beer spit out. <laughs> yeah, doctor, if you could wait till Tut's taking a drink to drop your Bouchard, I want to see that beer come out of his nose. Um... Well, Catherine, despite Mike's insistence that great white sharks are indeed killers, oh, now he knows what they are. A minute ago, he didn't know what the hell it was. That's all these things do, Catherine. It's all they kill. She insists they capture it instead. That way, she says, appealing to Bouchard's entrepreneurial side, he could make tons of money off exhibiting the rare beast. And surprisingly, Mr. Philip Fitzroyce agrees. Capturing a great white shark sounds like fun to him. Well, of course. I mean, he's Fitzroyce. Besides slaughtering defenseless animals, I love money. <laughs> he's like American Psycho, this guy. <laughs> uh, he's just standing over there in a clear raincoat holding an axe. 
Let's go. They, they look over at me. They're already putting on the clear trench coat and the axe. Are we doing <laughs> this? Why, Crocky, are we doing this? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, uh, Fitzroyce and Catherine jump in the water, and just like that, the shark attacks Catherine from behind. He's hungry. Do you all know what sharks order at McDonald's? Oh, God. Doctor, you know. Flail fish? A quarter flounder. Sorry. Fitzroyce wrestles her free of the shark's jaws. And right when the shark's fin breaks the surface, Mike, who for some reason has a crossbow now and is well-trained in shooting it, places a perfectly placed 3D harpoon, we see it soaring through us, towards us, into the shark's fin, tethering it to a buoy so it won't sink when Catherine tranquilizes it with her medicated spear through its soft belly, which she then does immediately, and voila, the shark is now property of SeaWorld. That was quick. Sorry, shark. The shark could have been shark could have been anywhere in that place, and it within five minutes they've got it. It's theirs. Well, I mean, I, I love how they continually tell us this is the most ginormous underground complex in this, but yet everything happens within five seconds of being in the water. Yeah. Everyone's okay, but all Bouchard cares about is, is the film okay? Me style. <laughs> Whenever something goes wrong in the podcast, one of you guys gets drunk and like falls and hits your head, you get you get on film. <laughs> but all jokes. Oh, oh no, 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 but uh, wait, the film's okay? But it, it sounds like you had a hard time, too. Oh, yeah, everybody's okay. <laughs> Doctor, you got to come in with the Bouchard voice. We're, we're, we're... Uh, that one was kind of lame, though. I mean, it, as far as the whole scene, I actually, I actually liked it. I liked his follow up after okay. the. Gonna dangerous down there. Yeah, I actually liked it because after the whole, but we got the film right. Oh, good, good. Oh, but 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 you guys had a hard time too. <laughs> I, thought, I, just I thought, liked it. Am I the only one who thought that? I liked it. I just thought after all all the shark movies that came out post Jaws and then of course the first two Jaws movies, everyone get, became so interested in great white sharks. They they don't really eat people. They don't like they don't like to eat people. Right. Um, right. But these sharks are just hungry as hell for people. Uh, They're the devil's fins. Well, do you know what they actually prefer eating like above anything else? What like seals? No, peanut butter and jellyfish sandwiches. All right. Catherine and Mike stay up all night nursing. I need to get more. I need to. I need to have a heart. Get back here, doctor. (laughs) Back here. (laughs) That's doctor's form of protest. Oh wait, can we all do? Can we all do that? Like their whip project. You got like when you when you crack one of those jokes, we all just do the shame. You guys. Oh, Tud has a spinning chair. Like like. Like yeah. the uh, kickboxer style, after Kung Pao like uh, kills that one dude, and they all the judges turn their back to him. Yax, you don't have a spinning chair, do you? I think I'm safe. Uh, next podcast, I will. <laughs> dude, I, I should probably get one too then for myself. I think I'm just going to raise everything up at least three feet so that I can get a chair that just descends and I can disappear. So now you're Doctor Claw from Inspector Gadget. Yes. Can I be? 
Is that <clears throat> I just have like a claw hand up here on screen, you know. This quarantine is doing interesting things to us. If you showed up with a clawed hand petting a weird cat, I'd be okay with it. I wouldn't question it. Um, It'll be me well, from now on. Catherine and Mike stay up all night nursing the monstrous fish back to health. They've officially done what no one has ever accomplished. A great white in captivity. A, it's hard to believe with Mike's past with great white sharks that he would just jump in the tank and help her like petting it and stuff. Like this thing's ate his friends. Tried to eat his dad and him. Like uh, he tells the SeaWorld employee, get out of there. I got this. And he's like massaging the shark. So that was weird. And That's B. The power of love. He does, he does love. Uh, no, no, no. But B, isn't it hard to imagine 2020, we're almost 30 years later from this movie, that no one has captured a great white shark in captivity? Like it seems like that should have been something. Who's going to work on it? Who's going to work with it? Bob, you need to get in the shark tank. I, I mean, I, I think you could do it without getting in the water with it, maybe. I just, I'm just surprised nobody is, nobody's done it. See, there's some Elon Musk or somebody would have done by now, some weirdo billionaire. Well, that we know of. I was about to say, that's his home. 1983 is 37 years ago. Oh, God. What a, oh, geez. I, I miscalculated. I missed a whole decade almost. Almost 40 years ago. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm thinking that, uh, I'm thinking nowadays. Oh, it would be so frowned upon. There's probably some kind of legality issue. Yeah. Nowadays, SeaWorld can't just go tranking anything in the ocean and stealing it and throwing it yeah, in that. I'm sure it probably wasn't even legal then, quite honestly. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, I mean, but what about, what, what about the uh, Star Trek? Voyage home scenario where it's, there's the only two great whites left, and you need to, to capture them, put them in a tank so they can breed and propagate the species. Those, that those were whales. Those were humpback whales. I know. If they could capture humpback whales, and, they should be able to capture great white sharks. And Todd, I was referencing actually, like, why hasn't this happened in the real world we live in, not Star Trek? I am referencing the real world, Star Trek. Doctor, can you turn around in your chair for me? <laughs> Thank you. Oh, no, well, the, no. Like I said, that we know of. I'm, I'm fairly certain someone probably has already done it. You know, Jeff, you know Jeff Bezos has some sharks with freaking laser beams. Uh, I am fairly certain his office is just him in a giant with a giant aquarium and he drops his enemies into, has them eaten by a shark. Me oh, after... Wait, that's... that's, that's Blowfield, not Bezos. Uh, me after our last episode where I cursed him for cut cutting all the the sex out of our softcore sex movie and fuck you, Jeff Bezos. Like you see me swimming down there. <laughs> I think it's kind of I want you to time. cut out all of the good parts and save them for me. So if I stand on this platform and don't ask questions, I'll get free Amazon Prime for a year. Okay. Yes, yes. Here we go. Ah! I think it's kind of along the lines of having a grizzly bear in captivity. I mean, number one, it's going to be extremely dangerous to catch. And number two, you're going to need a giant enclosure. Um, you're going to need a giant saltwater enclosure for a great white. And they just have uh, behaviors too, that are really interesting that a lot of people don't know about. If you watch a lot of that shark week stuff, you know, you see where, They've even had subs go down to the ocean floor and see them way down there yeah, um, and travel large distances. So I don't think it's really an animal 
I mean, it's, it's not that it's an animal that's not meant for captivity hasn't stopped humans from a lot of other <laughs> animals in captivity. But I think there are certain ones where where you almost just have to uh, draw the line. Um, the only thing comparable I can think of is I, I I think I wrote about it, but I don't think I mentioned on the show was when I went to the Dallas Zoo about ten years ago, and they had just opened up this African exhibit, and so terrified as I was, uh, Kate, you'll appreciate this. I wanted to go see the giant Saharan crocodiles. And, you know, there's this big enclosure. And here are these two fucking magnificent beasts. I mean, cranked out of their minds. And I thought they were dead because it was like they had their tails to me. They're in this big enclosure. There's no way they're getting out of it. They're 14 feet long. And their heads are on the other side of it. Granted, it's a very hot day. It was in the summertime in Texas, so maybe they're just chilling in the water and not moving. It was like just like a backyard pool, but they just they barely they didn't move. I think at one point I saw one of them like yeah, that's kind really of sad actually. And I was like, okay, he's not dead. It was like they're either either somebody just you know we've got to just shove these things so full of chemicals they can't move during the day, or. And I will say I was kind of moved with this perverse desire to pick up a rock and smash the glass and then just run as fast as I could just to see what happened afterwards. You're but free. I, I did not do that. Well, I, I mean, I can I can understand like the grizzly bear analogy because I mean, first of all, they ain't riding those little bitty bikes. You're going to have to get a whole new fleet of bicycles for them to ride. Doctor, could you turn around in your chair, please? You no, know, that that totally did away with your post-traumatic shark disorder. Ah, uh, so too far. You're back at ground zero, my friend. Welcome to my world. Crap. Hey, man, you you you, you get some wins, you get some losses. Hey, I I know I understand what you're going through, man. You you gotta swing for the fence. Your call may be used for training porpoises. I should have stopped there, oh, but like Icarus, like Icarus, I flew too close to the sun. And I ended up telling peanut butter and jellyfish joke sandwich jokes and well sometimes your jokes flounder. I mean uh, oh tut no tut no. I only have so much soul left. Every time we hear one of these jokes, hey hey that was a fish joke. You said soul. Did. <laughs> Oh, I'm just going to perch my beer right here. Oh, God. <laughs> all right, all right. The ne- <laughs> Somewhere there's a tilapia dance joke in here somewhere. <laughs> I know. I've, I've been searching for it. I got two more pages of notes till my tilapia joke. God. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, the next day, it's business as usual at SeaWorld. Water skiers are doing aerial tricks to the delight of bleachers full of people. Entertainers are square dancing because I guess people like stupid shit like square dancing. In oh, in the, in the 80s, people love square dancing. Oh, my God. These people are eating it up. Uh, and hundreds of kids and their families are being ushered of course, down. think about it. It's before the Internet. It's before Google. It's before YouTube. That's what hey, we had. Let's watch a very abrasive, rough guy bark orders at people and make them dance a certain way. Heck yeah. Sounds like fun. You have entertainment. Yeah. Maybe you ought to take the rod out of Wait, your house. But... I think you just described our podcast. Oh. Oh. That was a burn. That was a burn. 
I, I don't know if I call myself abrasive. I know. I feel I'm like, man, did I overstep a line there? I'm just kind of like, I was going for a funny, but that might have been a hurt funny. Well, little does Ted know my tilapia joke involves him. Oh. I'm sorry. I was trying. I, I went for a funny, and it was. It ended up being a hurt funny, and I don't like hurt uh, funnies anymore. Why don't you leave the comedy to the amateurs, huh? Uh, but most of the crowd is clamoring to there. We're seeing hundreds of kids and families being ushered down into the undersea kingdom. That's the big draw where you get to go under the sea. And Mr. Philip Fitzroyce with two R's is having a blast filming it all. The PR guy, Leonard, this little weasel guy, uh, I like Leonard with glasses. No offense, dog. Uh, tells Bouchard that ticket sales are through the roof, but that's not enough for the entrepreneur. He tells his underling to move the great white shark to an exhibit tank right away so people can start seeing it and the media can start talking about it. But- I build the park, I sell the tickets, I make the decisions, move the fish. But, but sir, shouldn't we wait on Catherine? She's in charge of the shark. Move the fish. And then he gets into his limousine boat it's like this really sweet little ski boat with flags, like American flags, and just jets off. Where's he going out there? There's a job there. Bouchard's drunk. I'm going out there. I'm going out there. It's time for lunch out there. You will stay here. Move the fish. I'm going to have lunch out there. You move the fish here. I'm going out there. My God. You know what? He is the man in charge, and I think we said earlier, you know, this guy's Luke Gossett Jr. is coming fresh off an Oscar win in this thing. Love it. And he gives it his all. Love uh, it. He's so much fun in this flick. Big fan. Uh, down in the Undersea Kingdom, there are quite a few 3D gags that played just okay in 2D. Electric eels jutting out of the rock walls to scare tourists, things like that. But I remember as a kid sitting in the theater, vividly, this shit making me jump in my seats. It worked really well in a theater on the big screen. Uh, man, I was jumping right and left during this. It was. It's you know. interesting because I haven't I haven't seen 3D in the modern era. I mean, this was my last 3D thing that I ever saw, and so I'm I'm looking at it through what y'all say 37 years of beer, and so it the memory kind of fogs up a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I was sitting there watching watching this show, and I remember those gags, and I was like, that really freaking worked. But on here, it's just kind of like, that was a 3D moment. That was a 3D moment. That was a 3D moment. I've, I've actually, I know there was not so much anymore, but remember there was a time probably about, I don't know, 10 years ago, give or take, where every movie was offered to you in 3D? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you could see uh, the t- were those Titan movies, the, like uh, Clash of the Titans, Clash of the Titans, or you could go to the next theater and pay five more bucks and see Clash of the Titans in 3D. And I didn't do any of that stuff, but Yax and I did go to see Avatar, um, and I, I I enjoyed the I did, I thought the movie was shit, but I I did enjoy the visual experience. Like wow, like they've come a long way since Jaws 3D, like. Well, I mean, it was the first movie made for the new 3D experience. Correct. And like, and unlike, also it was, unlike a lot of those other movies, they weren't shot with 3D cameras. They yeah, were they're putting it in after. Afterwards, they transformed into 3D, whereas Cameron actually shot Avatar to be seen in 3D. 
And I thought I looked really cool, but when you're mo- when you're, which is it's hard for me to say because I'm a big James Cameron fan, but when the dialogue and the storyline is kind of weak sauce, I disagree with you because I liked Avatar. Tut, it was terrible. I, I saw a movie it. that came out at the exact same time around 2009 or so that was an enjoyable movie that had no business being in 3D, and that was the My Bloody Valentine remake. Yeah. If you're not, if you're gonna put Tom Atkins in a movie, and fuck Shelby, if you're not gonna have Tom Atkins mustache in 3D, then why are you bothering? <laughs> like they had some blood shootout and some stuff like that, and it was like they whatever. An axe, an axe, a pickaxe come at you. Yeah. There, yeah, there was. I just wanted to turn around on that mustache, be like, Whoa. yeah, that would have been great. It was, it was Tom, if you're gonna give me Tom Atkins in 3D, I would have seen that movie four times in the theater. But otherwise, it was just like there was, you know, like hey, it's some pickaxes, some yeah. blood shooting out. I was like, nah. I take it back, Doctor. I said that Avatar was the only second movie I ever saw in 3D. I actually did go. My wife was interviewing for a job in Corpus Christi. Yeah, you, you, uh, you told me you blocked this out of your memory. I believe. And we went after her job interview. You know, we're in a new town down the coast, and I really wanted to see my Bloody Valentine 3D. We did see that. I blocked it out of my memory because it was a packed theater full of high school kids, and somebody throughout the entire movie was flicking nickels at my head. Like, I kept getting hit in the head, and I'm like, what the fuck? It was, it was like, changed. Some asshole, some punk kid was throwing loose change at my head. So I was getting by coin. I was getting hit by coins in 3D. That's why I, I didn't do it again until Avatar, and I'll never do it again. Well, I, I don't know if we're ever going to be able to go see movies again, but if I can, I won't. We will. Around and kicked his ass. 2026 is going to be a glorious year. I didn't know where it was. Should just kick the ass, everybody in the row behind you, on general principle. Look, we can't all be badasses like you, Doctor, all right? I wouldn't fight anybody. I'm saying you should have done it. <laughs> no. Who says yeah, I didn't? Peaceful right here. <laughs> yeah, we would have been right beside you saying, man, okay, you're going you're gonna to put up with that? I mean, kick his ass, Seabass. It was a dark theater pack. Seabass. I, I just no, started- it's, it's, it's serious. And also, I'm joking. In all seriousness, that's horrible. I remember you told me about it. It's horrible. I... I let out some very, very unfavorable sighs. <laughs> oh. Uh. oh, he's sighing again. Do it again. He's sighing again. Do it again. Uh. Yeah, that when, didn't help you at all. When Catherine hears a PA announcer tell the visitors that the Great White is now on display for their viewing pleasure in a fish tank, she races as quickly as she can to stop it from happening, but it's too late. Within a minute... <laughs> Of the public being allowed to see the shark, it's dead. What was in that water? So a bunch of vulnerable, a bunch of vulnerable children get to see the shark go belly up and die. I bet that was disappointing. You know what's never disappointing, boys? What's that? Glad you asked, Tut. I of course am talking about the never disappointing Pappy Van Winkle's Family Reserve Barrel Fermented Cigar from Drew Estate. This unique stogie is a long filler premium cigar rolled in limited quantities at La Gran Fabrica Drew Estate in Esteli, Nicaragua. Deep barrel fermentation is the key process that makes this expression vastly different from anything else on the market. Hand-selected leaves from Kentucky are packed into small torquettes, which are then loaded strategically into oak bourbon barrels. Water is then added while immense pressure is applied to the torquettes via railroad jacks. 
The tobacco is removed two to three times per year, shaken out, then repacked. You got to see these guys live in action at a barn smoker, Louisiana barn smoker, when they come back. To see these pros deal with this tobacco is just something to behold. The total process of fermentation takes 12 to 18 months, leaving a truly unique flavor profile and aroma. The Peppy Van Winkle's Family Reserve Bell Ferment is now available at every brick and mortar Drew Diplomat retailer everywhere. And if you'd like to smoke the unique pig-sized Vitola of the Pappy, which smokes very different and tastes very different than any other size, head over to pappyco.com, the official Pappy Van Winkle website, as that's the only place you will find it. Man, hopefully one day that nature will let us get out and do that kind of stuff again because you need to stick your head down in that barrel and get you a big old whiff of that. It's sugary. It's 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 just this blood of the earth syrup. That'll wake you up in the morning. Woo! And uh, nobody puts on a party like Mark Ryan in Louisiana. So uh, get your ass there. Ah, thanks, boys. Love that guy. Um, So while some cute girls are looking through the windows of the undersea kingdom at all the beautiful fish that SeaWorld has brought here to be on display in the lagoon. Suddenly, Shelby's rotting corpse floats up with an eyeball hanging out of it, mustache still still attached, causing them all to scream in horror and run away. And I'm just going to say one more time, somehow SeaWorld was okay with this movie. <laughs> they invited the filmmakers here to shoot. Mike and Catherine go down to the lab to examine Shelby's body, and Catherine can tell from the bite marks to his mustache that it wasn't their shark that did this to Shelby. Here's my question. When a shark attacks Shelby down there, pretty muscular guy, you imagine he's probably tastes pretty good. Okay. Better better than any school of guppies the fish has eaten. Well, he's he's probably he probably tastes like booze, the guys. Nah, and they don't really they don't really kill humans to eat humans. Yeah, but you've got this big hunk of man meat down there and you've killed you've ate wouldn't you eat the whole thing? Cade's desires notwithstanding, uh, Tuttle is uh, telling the truth. I mean, uh, a shark normally attacks a human being thinking that they're splashing around like a seal or some other type of animal, so they bite it. Uh, I don't believe that, you know, I don't believe that we ever have stories of sharks, or at least at least not too many, of sharks actually eating a person whole. They'll bite a leg off, they'll bite an arm off, they'll bite them in half, but... Uh, as far as just going back and eating the rest of it, they generally don't do that, as far as I understand. Hey, it, it ate Quint whole. Again, let's not look at the movies. Remorseless <laughs> killing machine. But this movie does play, take place in that same universe. I think uh, I think we're going to go with, this is the point where I go Jaws 3. It ate Sean's babysitter in Jaws 2 whole. Jaws three. <laughs> We've got a property. Let's squeeze another. Let's squeeze another summer movie out of it. We need to up right. our death count here. Need to get the body count going high here. Hey, real quick, I should mention we uh, our follow up cigar, the Culebra, uh, Culebra from J.C. Newman. I, I think the thing to take away from it was just how well for an underfilled Panatella that was kind of a novelty cigar how well it smoked like it smoked it, like a champ it yeah, tasted good construction wise it smoked well it had a straight burn line even though the burn line was going like this 
it, it, it tasted good and it performed well. And if you're breaking apart a cigar into threes and sharing it with your buddies and you look like, you know, complete jackasses smoking this thing. Oh, you don't, man. You look like you're, you're self-aware and you don't give a fuck. It's a special cigar for some special moments. And we don't have those anymore, so we just did it on the show. Uh, but it was really impressive how well it performed uh, considering. Um, okay, okay. Yeah. Yes. If you get a chance to go to a J.C. Newman, uh, either a virtual event or when things get back to uh, normal, hopefully, uh, yeah, try to get you one. It was it was kind of a cool experience. I don't know it's if I'll a, ever, Yeah, it is a unique experience. I don't know if I'll ever do a Calibra again, but it was it was worth giving it a shot, and I think we got a good one. I imagine there's some that don't perform that that well. Um, all right. So they race down to the Undersea Neptune Lounge where Bouchard, Fitzroyce, and Fitzroyce's sidekick Jack are knocking back some cocktails yet again. They're always down we, there drinking. We got to get to that lounge. Oh, we got to get to that lounge. I just want a job like those guys where most of the time I'm just down in the lounge eating some, you know, steak sliders and drinking. And I believe uh, the Neptune Lounge is named after Neptune, who was the mythological god of the sea. Correct, Gex? Yes, indeed. And or Poseidon. That's the Greek one. There's there's Greek and Roman, right? Roman is Neptune. Correct. Yeah, there you go. Um, Look at us all cultured up in here. Yeah, we're we're starting to kind of recover from your jokes, Tut. I think we're getting some of our credibility back. From Tut's jokes. Uh, moving on. Catherine um, tell Catherine tells the men that whatever I, sh- I played a part. I egged him on. Catherine tells the men that whatever shark kills I threw sh- chum in the water. <sighs> See, now this is where you would turn around. <laughs> I'm I'm ordering a swivel chair from Jeff Bezos. You're nice, comfortable. (laughs) Is Office Depot still open? Uh, It's called Office Depot. It doesn't look like I'm paying attention right now. It's because I'm trying to order a chair off from Bezos himself. Hey, Cade, you gave me some great advice on ordering a shredder to destroy documents. You get what you pay for. Get yourself a nice chair, buddy. Spend a couple bucks. Get yourself a good one. I will. I will. Look, you give me this. Uh, if you're listening to us, you need to go to YouTube just to see the glorious chair turn of the TNCZ's one and only a Dr. Disdain. Doctor, you going back real quick to the autopsy. Well, not an autopsy. They just basically go to examine Shelby's body in the SeaWorld morgue. Glad, <laughs> Got everything. Glad, glad that exists. Um <laughs> Have you ever seen any kind of skeletal damage done to a human being like what they witnessed there with Shelby? My God, the amount of tissue damage and muscle damage his sinews have been destroyed by this magnificent fish. I'm afraid I have not, Mr. Cade. Every muscle fiber in his body must have been on fire when he was eaten. Do you think he'll ever return to work at SeaWorld on a full-time or even a part-time basis? I'm afraid at this point it's far too early to tell. Actually, I no, he, it's not too early. No, no, he, he, he's, he's deceased. He won't be yeah, doing okay. a job there again. Okay. I agree with your, I agree with your diagnosis. And again, they could put him in that 
that uh, little haunted house thing in the undersea kingdom where the stuff pops out and just like Shelby, it's still working. Stick him on one of these things, and we'll just shove him out of the tourists. Look, Colin. Mrs. Tud is still there. Said, I, <laughs> hey, that guy owes me alimony and child support. Put him back to work. I'm, Look, Colin. Honestly, I was. <laughs> we don't want his death to be in vain. Well, I was just I waiting for that, that, that doctor to come in and be like, well, you know what? I think we can do some good here. Where would you like the mustache sent? Put the mustache in the park. I build the park. I sell the tickets. I make the decision. Move the mustache. <laughs> well, like, she, it's what he's. It's it's what he wanted. It's what Shelby would want. Well, she tells these guys that whatever shark killed <laughs> Shelby had a bite radius of over a yard. That's pretty big, right, Yax? It is three you're feet. Our, you're a resident measurement expert. Fitzroy yeah. says that's just silly as that would indicate a shock of around 35 feet in length. Well, let's, let's drop the Mel Gibson again and go. Indicate a shock of some considerable size. Our shark didn't kill Shelby. That's right, governor. That's his English sidekick. Let, let me and the doctor handle the Fitzroy stuff, will you? Oh, oh great. You made the doctor leave. <laughs> God, he's so sensitive tonight. <laughs> Uh, Catherine says, our shark didn't kill Just Shelby. Just get another drink, boys. Just get another drink. Oh, okay. It helps. It helps. I'll try one more time. Our shark didn't kill Shelby, Catherine says. Its mother did. What? Doctor, to which Bouchard responds. Wait a minute. Talk about some, talk about some goddamn shark's mother? <laughs> you can't believe we're talking about a shark's mother. Dude, that's my favorite line in the whole movie. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, a shark's parents? I want some shark as a mother? <laughs> but Catherine doesn't need to say another word, as just then the mama shark herself shows up at the Neptune room's enormous viewing window. All these people chilling with their cocktails and they're just dancing and they look out this window and they see, my God, this sucker is fucking big. It's like a Greyhound bus with a fin. I mean, this thing is just enormous. There's my shark. There's your shark, Tut. Kate, would you be comfortable personally eating in the Neptune Neptune room 40 feet below the surface with those fish swimming around? Not on on opening weekend. Ever? (laughs) Let some people test that out. Like, you're going to take an elevator down here. Here's the undersea kingdom. Don't worry. We got all this six-foot of plate glass. You're safe. And all these fish are just swimming by. You're going to be safe there? They got that bar. Is Bouchard buying drink? Is it complimentary drinks? I'm saying complimentary drinks or not, you and me are going to have to have two or three blue razzes in the parking lot before we head down there. Yeah, I think maybe if they've been open for, I don't know, a deck, 10 years, with no, no, no issues, uh, I might go down there with for, for free drinks, maybe. Yeah. Could you sit there for an hour and a half and have a meal? I don't go in fresh water, and I think that kind of includes, like, enclosed under... Yeah, no, I'm not doing that. Um, Catherine jumps up as she realizes that she needs to save the animals that are in the lagoon with this shark, but Mike's mind immediately goes to... Oh, my God, the water skiers. And thus begins one of the most mind-boggling, entertaining, 
and just completely asinine sequences in movie history. I I would do the Benny Hill theme here, but that discredits this scene. No, no, no. It totally does. Now this is this is something else, Tut, like we've never seen before. As we see a frothing at the mouth, Mike Brody, one, barrel through a hula dance presentation, knocking several people down and ruining their day. One. Two, then after failing to get the water skier's attention from the shore, waving his arms around like a madman, get out of the water! Get out of the water! Obviously, they're out at sea, hundreds of feet away. They don't see him. He runs through a tiki bar, knocking all sorts of shit over there, ruining their day. Three. Then he yanks a poor popcorn salesman violently <laughs> off his golf cart. That poor guy. Ears it, driving it like a bat out of hell through the park, ramming kids' strollers over, sending people running for their lives, until Bitch. eventually he crashes it and flips over and it almost crushes him. It's 1983. This dude driving the golf cart with the popcorn and it's making like two bucks an hour. He doesn't say, stop, I need your golf cart. He grabs him and just throws him out onto the pavement. It's like when Arnold in Terminator just grabs the guy out of the truck and throws him down and he just, you know, smashes him to the pavement. Oh, when, when, our yes, fi- but- when the film is over, our final tally, Mike Brody injures more people in this movie than the shark. <laughs> Hands down. Well, and all of this in this... What I said is just the, the defiance of logic. I'm like, hey, maybe I should get on the radio and contact the people because this is, this is our hero. He's good under pressure. And this was the 80s, man. Walkie talkies. They would work maybe 50 percent of the time. I mean, come on. All right. Hold on. That was only three. The first three things he did. Number four. <laughs> Finally, he reaches the big main stage where the MC water skier announcer is talking to the crowd, he tosses him into the lagoon. Get out of the water. He doesn't just Flash. grab the mic from him. <laughs> he, he's telling everybody to get out of the water. He throws this poor idiot into the water. And he grabs the microphone while it's still attached to that dude and pulls him until <laughs> so he just goes flying in. Yeah, he tosses him right in, you know, where the shark is. He takes control of the microphone, shouting at the water skiers to get the hell out of the water. Oh, and wait, there's more. Five. I like Mincy's version of it. Oh, give me some more, Mincy. (laughs) Spot on. Number five. With a deranged look in his eyes, Mike then jumps in a speedboat to go help out and help any skiers that are in need. And when he has no luck at that, he crashes it onto the beach, almost killing a little girl. Mommy! She screams out right as he crashes it in the beach. Oh my god, this guy's gone fucking bonkers. She's not terrified of the shark, she's terrified of Mike Brody. As she should be. Man alive. This he is... just jumped out of the boat that his skis onto the beach. Just jumped out and just punch her right in the face. <laughs> Stay out of the water! <laughs> This is a crazy fucking scene that the doctor and I have made fun of religiously for years. And celebrated. What's that, doctor? And celebrated. And celebrated. If you only watch Jaws 3 for one reason, it's for this scene. There's actually a, a, a review 
that Cade sent me a, a long time ago, maybe like 10 years ago at least, where some guy wrote a review that the entire movie of Jaws 3 is just a breakdown of Mike Brody's mind. <laughs> Start, starting with the fish that gets bit at the beginning that we talked about when it's moving its mouth open. and like Starting with that, the whole movie is just a breakdown of Mike Brody's mind, climaxing in that scene when he just goes ape shit and just runs roughshod over the whole park. And, and this Cade adequately described oh, dude. Uh, uh, he goes full in the mouth of madness this is not reality he, he just snaps um, maybe his thing about going to Venezuela <laughs> was him entering a institution yeah, that's a euphemism for a mental asylum yeah well, uh, French, famed French composer Philippe LaRue says that every piece of music needs that one moment of madness to make it memorable. And I think we just witnessed it here in this movie. Uh, this is this movie's moment of madness, and it's, oh, glori- it's glorious. Glorious. I will say this. The various shots of the shark fin racing along behind the water skiers are all very well done. Gorgeous. That's it a, looks smooth. That is obviously a, you know, they made some fake sharks, some partial, just the front of the shark, some just the fin. But this, dude, the logistics, non-CGI, of the water skiers actually getting up on their skis into a pyramid and tracking that shark fin by, that that had to be so fucking hard to do. First of all, the, the, the shark fin coming out of the water, no matter where it is or what this, what the context is, is one of my favorite optics. I think it's, it's, it's like awesome. a pair, it's like a periscope coming up from a submarine. It's just, yeah, but, I mean, menace. You the, know that it's menace, but this with those skiers and the way it tracked with it. I, I just, think the shark, I think the shark fin emerging out of the water and racing towards somebody is kind of the equivalent of like, the hyperspace stars in Star Wars, when you see them, like those those iconic kind of just, when you see that shark fin, it's you're watching a Jaws movie. When you see the hyperspace, shoot to hyperspace, you're watching a, a Star Wars movie. I mean, there's just nothing. It just gives you kind of chills that you know you're watching a part of, of something cool. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, but given the context on the size of the shark, the fin sticking out of the water should have been like 10 feet tall. Up to the second tier of the pyramid. Well, that and its head would be beyond the water skiers. It would be like beyond the boat. Wait, uh, what, what does the doctor say? Jaws 3. Yeah, 3. 3. Jaws 3. 3. But again, even with that cool cinematography and technical prowess, I think due to some optimal music score and lazy editing... I never got the full sense of dread and tension when the operative for it was right there for the taking. I didn't get tension, but I just got a shit ton of cool. It was, it was a nice adrenaline thing. I, I, just, I, I guess I just wish more water skiers got chomped up. But that's never been the Jaws movie's MO. It's, it's not a body count series. Um, so I'll, I'll give it that. It's true to the series. Oh, and it's also during the sequence that we cut underwater to a close-up of the Great White Mama Roaring like a lion. And I'm out. I'm out. Which is something that great whites can't, in fact, do because they have no vocal cords. If they did, that would be crazy, but they don't. Uh, they could, If they had vocal cords, they could talk and sing songs and stuff. And they well, I looked into it, guys. They, they can't sing songs. <laughs> I, I do it's a not, lot it's of- not like Bruce from... Uh- 
finding Nemo here. He's, I do a lot of fact checking, and sharks cannot. Uh, It'd be funny if it was. He's like, Jesus, this Brody guy's crazier than I am. <laughs> I'm just hungry. This guy's. Why are you scared of me, man? That guy's. <laughs> guy's hey, terrorizing your park worse than I am. Hey, Tut. Yeah. If sharks did have vocal cords, what would you call a shark that can't stop singing, You Can't Touch This? MC what? Hammerhead. MC Hammerhead. Uh, I got. I, I knew the doctor's chair was coming on that. You one. know what? That one. That one was not terrible. <laughs> what happens if he's a foreign rapper, though? You know, from Finland. Oh, oh! Now you get the full turn. <laughs> and now I can't use my Finland joke later. Oh, oh, sorry. You're telling some bad jokes here. <laughs> <laughs> Big time. All hell is breaking loose in the corner of No Hope and at SeaWorld. Tuesday Night Cigar Club is going crazy and SeaWorld is going crazy. Kelly had talked a reluctant Sean Brody into stuffing himself into a bumper boat with her. And when they're knocked out of it into the water, because that's what bumper boats do, they crash into each other. and There goes another girlfriend. Some fat dude on a bumper boat just takes them both out. Uh, the shark takes a big bite out of her leg, leaving a big old gnarly gash. Luckily, Fitzroyce and Jack are there to jump in and save her. Sean, he's all, he can't swim. He's, he's useless. But Fitzroyce and Jack jump in and, and save Kelly. The shark also knocks a bunch of random dudes that are hanging out on a raft together in the lagoon. It's weird, like five or six just dudes in Speedos hanging out together. You know that would be us. We've never done that, right? <laughs> There's going to be a bottle of Jack that we smuggled in. But at this point, he knocks... How'd you hide that in your Speedo? He knocks all these well-oiled... He knocks all these well-oiled, muscular, suntanning dudes into the water of his wrath, and he doesn't eat any of them. Why is he doing this? Revenge. Revenge. They killed his baby, which he somehow knows that they did. Homophobic shark? Oh, you think he doesn't eat gay guys? Uh, or dudes? No, either. probably because they would taste funny with all of the suntan lotion. <laughs> oh, they're just so greasy. Do sharks, doc, doctor? Do sharks have cholesterol concerns? I think they might. They have and heart. If, they have a heart. If you've been basting in copper tone for hours, I don't know if that makes you tasty. I imagine. Yeah. I, I imagine it'd be like a big basket of juicy wings. You'd, you'd want to just gobble them up. No, nah, it's like those wings that they're like, oh, these are hot wings, but they're just so soaked in vinegar that it just sucks. Forget suntan lotion. This butter and olive oil is going to give me a nice tan. Yeah. So basically what you're saying, Ted, is these guys are like hooter wings. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. The shark's not there for the wings. <laughs> He's there for other reasons. Gotcha. Uh, I just... I guess I would have liked this movie to have a little more uh, bitten off limbs and stuff, but uh, it is a Jaws movie, and that's not why we, that's not what they do. There's a scene here where Sean tells Mike that he's going in the ambulance with Kelly to the hospital. Yeah, he is. Even with that, even with that big old gash in her leg, she's it's still better than sticking around SeaWorld. Uh, and he asks his big brother what he's going to do about the shark. I don't know, Mike says. What, how great would it have been if Mike had said, I'm going to call Dad? 
They've said he's still alive. He's still alive. He's killed two great whites with his bare hands. I'm going to call dad. Even if we don't see him call dad, and if later on there's a scene like he he was sleeping or he was drunk, I couldn't get him on the phone. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. No, because then you, you would have had to have followed up on it. What do I know about screenwriting? Absolutely nothing. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if you. I mean, couldn't you have done like something like, "I need to call Dad," and then Sean instead of like doing doing where you actually have to call Dad, just Sean go, "Just kill him, son of a bitch! Just kill him, Mike!" Avenge Kelly! Avenge! <laughs> Avenge my babysitter! Avenge every shark, everybody that this thing has eaten of our our entire lives. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You can't call him. He said he wouldn't take the paycheck to be in this movie for anything. Or what if Mike was like, no, he's he's been through enough. He just had heart surgery. If he knew we were fighting another shark, it would kill him. Something cool. You could say something. Uh, listen, you'd probably been so like, just stick the phone in the water. Ah! Mom, mom said don't bother him with shark stuff anymore. <laughs> he's trying to watch the ball game, damn it. Uh, after Bouchard calmly announces on the PA to those in the Undersea Kingdom, to what's he say, uh, Doctor? Follow your tour guides. Follow your tour guides. Move the nearest exit. Due to technical difficulties. Due to technical difficulties, it has become necessary for us to close part of the park. Follow your tour guides. And we'll see you on the surface soon. I'll be drinking down here. And then he turns off his mic and just loses his shit on his poor nephew, Fred, who's <laughs> his main technician, just screaming at him. Poor Fred. <sighs> I love the one overweight tourist dad who's stuck in the undersea kingdom. All the kids and moms are kind of just following the guide and doing what they're told. And there's this one big dude, the sweaty tank top, who immediately starts freaking out. Where the hell are the emergency exits? We're under the water. Like he just starts like knocking dudes over, and like there's always that one dude. Always and that you're one. saying that that wouldn't be one of us if we were in the undersea kingdom? It wouldn't be the TNCC and like move to your nearest exit. Where where's the exit? Start throwing people over, tripping people. No, that would not be us. We'd, First of all, we'd still be back at the lounge. We'd be at the Neptune Lounge. <laughs> Did you guys go on the tour? Well, we were planning on it, but. Uh, we stayed for the cocktails. Dude, there's been so many big events that like we've been brought to to like cover this part of it, and we just miss it because we're at a lounge drinking. <laughs> this this is literally why we brought you here, guys. This moment. Yeah. <laughs> Someone would have been running down there. Don't forget about the TNCC, guys. We'd be over in the Neptune Lounge window. No, we're over here. We're, we're over here. Have y'all drank these Long Islands? We'll be, drinking, all, we'll be drinking Long Island's here. They're all, Doc, uh, Kelly's got an injury to her leg. Here's my response. She's fine. Uh, give her two cc's, take a tube down her throat, and uh, yeah, I'll be there in about four hours. Four two, five c- hours. two cc's of what, Doctor? That's right. That's right. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> Well, as it turns out, this fatso has reason to panic as the mama shark begins battering the undersea kingdom tunnel, sending water rushing in. The technician, Bouchard's nephew, Fred, 
must seal off the tunnels to avoid compromising the entire undersea kingdom, trapping buttloads of scared tourists underwater. I gotta say, I do love the ambitiousness of this movie. The concept of a great white targeting SeaWorld is fucking awesome on paper. And the fact they got SeaWorld to play along. All the ingredients are there, including top-notch acting talent. Everybody in this is solid. There's not an actor in here. I'm like, boy, they stunk. Yeah, nobody phoned it in. I just think for whatever reason, the filmmakers, I don't know if it's because of a first-time director or a bad editor, I just don't think they could kind of make the most of it. I I think this could have been a lot better than it was. I still love it. I still love it, but I thought it could have been a lot really, I thought it could have easily been better than Jaws 2 if done a little bit differently. Agreed. I still think it's dealing with the old number three. It's uh, we've got the property. Let's hey Jaws at SeaWorld. Let's let's sell tickets. <laughs> I make is, the decisions. I've, I make the decisions. <laughs> I sell the tickets. I make popcorn. Get the movie pieces in the ass in the seats. And yeah. <laughs> Mike is busy down the engineering room, chain smoking while supervising a welding project that will hopefully make the tunnel system structurally sound again and rescue 50 or so people from an underwater grave. Very, very intense work he's doing there. <laughs> it looks glorious wow. 80s, though, man. There's those 80s Coke cans everywhere. He's chain-smoking. Oh, yeah, he got dude. young. I mean, the dude's young. And just it, is like, an, it, like, it is an wow. 80s... It's an 80s rock video. There's sparks in the background for no reason. Lita Ford comes out. I mean, all, you need awesome. is, all you need is Tawny Katane to walk out there in the sparks. But it's, it's just a guy with an angle grinder on metal for no reason. Just, <laughs> oh, by the way, none, yeah. of the, none of this shit they're building does he take down there to fix this shit. <laughs> of course, he's just got a bicycle chain. Well, Rat in the background. Round and round. <laughs> you'll find a way. Just give it time. Well, it's now at this particularly intense, important moment that Catherine pulls Mike away from his very important work to tell him that she's decided to go to Venezuela with him after all. Really? He helps happily. He can't believe this great news. Well, no shit. It ain't like seeing where the SeaWorld thing's going to work out. It would have been better if he'd have been like, uh, Catherine, not now. Folks, don't invest in Sea. Don't invest in Sea World. It's really starting to tank. Uh, but really, another piece of my soul. That was it. That's some. That's oh. after all the shit that's hitting the fan here. That's some big sacrifice on Catherine's part. Give me a break. That would have meant something a half an hour ago, when he's like, "Hey, I got a job in Venezuela. I'll go with you. I love you." That would mean something. She's all scratching her neck. She's like, oh, hey, Mike, uh, the Venezuela thing? Yeah, I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> they got dolphins oh, shit. Down, right? We're both out of jobs. Yeah. This place ain't going to be open tomorrow. Well, Fitzroyce and Jack come up with a plan to lure the mama shark into a filtration pipe and kill it while Mike can safely weld the tunnels back in working order, which will release the tourists. A stressed-out Bouchard and Catherine head back to the control room to oversee all the action. The control room underwater in the kingdom. Yaks, it is a hell of a 1980s control room. Blinking lights, the spinning tables. Uh, it's all the it stuff was so glorious. I just wanted to walk in there and take a nap. <laughs> just to hear the little... What are the blinking... Are they blinking in sequence? No. Perfect. 
Did you guys see when Bouchard walks in, he looks at the spinning tape reel and is like, oh, yeah, okay, that's, that's doing its thing. He stuck that thing up there that had the little flashing lights that went like back and forth. And I would have been like, this, this is, this is it. This is it. Everything's running according Gene, to plan. Gene is walking around here. Need <laughs> <laughs> to get this tape real a little bit smooth. He's always busted Fred's chops. And if at least one dude, oh, nephew, just, just some nameless tech was in the background with the clipboard, looking at the blinking lights, hard hat. jotting down important blinking light data. I would have been. I would. I would have been complete. Fred comes up with the idea of shutting down the turbines. Yeah. And that's when that's when Calvin really loses his shit. Oh, poor dude, man. Maybe we shut down the turbines. I can shut down two million dollar turbine on account of some goddamn fish. No, 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 nephew. <laughs> oh, he also didn't he talk about how much those turbines cost? Yeah. There's two million dollar turbines. I so we shut down the turbines. No, 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 nephew. And go shut the turbine. Two million dollar turbine have some some damn fish. And I love the way he, after after he just loses it, he he gives a great side eye. He does like the, it's just like a scene that goes by like boom like that. But he just side eyes nephew and just like I'm like damn Lewis. It's like Fred seems competent in his job, but that's the way of saying you've got this because of nepotism and that's why. Like Fred comes up with an intelligent idea to shut the turbine. No 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 nephew. <laughs> Hey, Fred doesn't see the financials. He doesn't see the expense reports. He didn't know how much those turbines cost. Got turbine to catch some fish. <laughs> I'm having advertisers in here. And did you see the the girl, the only other technician in the room, when he when he calls Fred out as nephew? Like she kind of looks away. Like she can't even be a part of this. <laughs> You've seen that before. That yeah, to- you know she's seen that before. It's like I went to ITT Tech for this. Yeah, Get a job at SeaWorld, they said. Six weeks, I'm an IT expert, they said. <laughs> now I'm stuck down here underwater with these two. <laughs> Turn around and watch a spinning wheel. <laughs> Dude, she does the doctor. She just turns around in her chair. <laughs> Is everything all right over there? Mind your business over there. We're taking care of our business over here. I think she has one line. He like tells her to change the video monitors. She's like, Changing video monitors. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> well, you doing imperial work. Doing imperial work. It's honest work. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's honest work. Doing it. Doing oh. empire stuff here. Doing empire empire stuff here. All the empire stuff. Well, using some chum and banging noises, Fitzroyce and Jack are able to lure the shark into the filtration tunnel, which frees the way for Mike to head underwater to begin the welding mission to rescue everybody. All oh, is good. Wow. Right. Right? All's good. It's going to play. Wrong. Wrong. Fitzroyce's lifeline rope, the rope that's his only hope of surviving this, they just tied a regular like rope in a knot. It comes undone. It snaps, and the shark swallows our savvy, world-famous English photographer whole. Bye, Fitz. But again, we see footage from inside the shark's throat as Fitzroy struggles inside its mouth. I thought that was great. I love seeing him like, what do you do? It's like Noah and the whale. Like he's alive inside of another creature. That's crazy. We've never I'm trying to figure out I'm trying to figure out being in the throat of the thing is like how is the throat crushing him? him? He stays he stays alive for quite a while in that mouth. 
if you can hear the shark roar, wouldn't it have been cool if you could have heard Fitzroy's talk? Oh, bloody hell. This is Gosh. uncomfortable. Oh, bo- oh, bollocks. Bollocks. I figured it would have been more, you know, I knew this day would come. Uh, sayonara, manimal. As Catherine squeezes... And I have to say, because uh, what's his compatriot, Jack Governor? Jack Tate. You don't get to see a lot of him, but I actually was touched by his concern for his compatriot. Well, he, he cries like you guys did at the end of that new Psych movie. He cries, uh, which... Don't you make fun of the new Psych movie? I, I didn't hear the tears you. Tears are real! Yeah, Doctor, while we were on break, uh, you listeners, uh, it'll be edited out, but they both admitted to to sobbing like babies at the end of some TV. Got no, got no shame. Got no shame about it. I'm a man with feelings. Huh. Deep on. feelings. I think the doctor's going to turn around now. He's he's checked out. No, I'm 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 uh, I'm curious. Uh, they watched this TV show called Psych, and apparently it went off the air years ago. But they make these movies of it now, and they watched one the other day, and they both said they 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 cried. Uh, at the end of it, and they didn't know I was listening. Oh, uh, you were right there on the TV. We knew it. Okay. A man to give in to his feelings. Yeah. That's right. I'm sure Fitzroyce maybe cried a little bit inside that shark's mouth because you know that's that's it. Yeah, that was that was caused. I just thought it was very touching that Jack uh, shed some tears for his fellow fallen comrade. And he I wonder get, why he didn't get a lot the entire movie, and then and he, he but you gotta admit. I'm a little disappointed in Fitzroyce. Now, granted, he's a vain man. He's got a big ego. But at the point where you realize you're not getting out of that shark's mouth, don't you, all those grenades on your belt, don't you be like, all right, well, you know what? At least I can save everybody else. Nope. Well, wouldn't it seem like he tried as we get to the film's denouement, as they say in France? You're giving him the benefit of the doubt, Doctor. He tried. He was trying. Okay. As Catherine squeezes into a wetsuit to go help Mike, Bouchard, thinking that everything is going swimmingly, orders his nephew to shut down the pumps that are trapping the shark as it's a $2.5 million turbine that's not going up in smoke because of, Doctor? Because I'm going to count some damn fish. So good. It's like everything they want to do to save everyone at SeaWorld, he's got a spreadsheet there to see how much it's going to cost him. It's going to cost him. I got an overturned popcorn cart. You know how much? <laughs> like He knows like how much each bag of popcorn costs? No, 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 nephew. I don't know $75 with the popcorn today. We're burning off this shit. <laughs> and we go shot a turbine. That popcorn don't grow on trees. Not to mention the repairs to the Tiki Lounge that Mike Brody destroyed running through it. And that guy in the 1890s piano player vest and sleeves that he dragged into the water who's going to sue the whole company. That's another thing I wonder watching this. Why are all the performers dressed like 1800, like from there in a wet, like a, a like bad western? Like they're from Iowa? Like a bad western, like Jaws 3. Okay, Doctor. Why was their form of entertainment square dancing? We loved square dancing back then. I feel, did I mention that he also ran through and ruined a hula dancing presentation? Um, he actually, Mike Brody, took a tiki torch and set all the hula dancers on fire for some reason. Remember in 83, 
We didn't even have Nintendo. We were playing Atari and in television. Oh, the twenty six hundred. You know what? I went to SeaWorld a lot as a kid, and I I I I distinctly remember having to watch those square dance routines. And even at that age, thinking it was the lamest shit I'd ever seen in my life. We're gonna find one of Cade's photo albums. She's all in there with the square dancers on the time of his life. <laughs> Got a big straw hat on. <laughs> yeah. Was the straw hat backwards? <laughs> yeah, I, I li- from Ohio. I was living in Ohio at the time, so of course it was backwards. <laughs> How do you wear a straw hat backwards? It's the same. The brim's the same all around. No, no, I no. I love sorry, the idea no. of seeing little Katie's all woo, yeah, so excited. I have been anti-square dancing from the moment I was born. My record is solid on that. Got to wait. Here's the beef. You're all just. We uncovered this footage from uh, Matt Cade at Sam Houston State. Turn your partner around and around, dancing and just loving it. <laughs> the roaring uh, don't don't bother looking for that footage. It doesn't exist. The roaring shark escapes from the filtration tunnel and heads straight for Mike and Catherine. Thank God, Cindy and Sandy, those clever dolphins, show up to once again rescue their human captors. I mean, friends. <laughs> Which the shark escapes in an impossible manner. Yeah, he, he swims backwards. The sharks can't swim backwards. It It's in a very small, tight tunnel, and it just shuffles its way out backwards. Now promenade to the right. <laughs> Real quick, just we are in 2020. We, we're, we're supposed to hate SeaWorld now, right? Like they're evil. Yes. Cancel SeaWorld. to hate everything? We're supposed to cancel SeaWorld, right? Didn't they already cancel SeaWorld? No, I think they're still out there. I mean, not oh, with the okay. quarantine and all. I mean, nobody's strapping on a mask to go see some stupid dolphins. I hope you're not going out there to do that. Right. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't my weekend plan at all. <laughs> if you're leaving your house to go see some stupid fish First of all, it's like... 100 degrees in Texas. You're going down to San Antonio to SeaWorld for 100 degrees. Of course, I guess we've been cooped up for since March. Yeah. Uh, anyway, enough about SeaWorld, those bastards. With the Dolphins' help, Mike and Catherine are able to reach the underwater hatch to join Bouchard and his nephew in the undersea control room. Oh, and that other lady who's like, God, get me out of here. Like, <laughs> just eat me. I wish the shark would just eat me already. She's filling out job applications for Burger King. <laughs> yeah, she's like, hey, Leah Thompson left. I guess I can get that Burger King gig. Burger King job. You got those cool Return of the Jedi glasses coming out this summer. But luckily, Mike just finished his welding job when all this shit happened, so the people that are trapped in the tunnels can now be freed. Yay! Yay! It's going to be okay. But the good news doesn't last long. As the mama shark charges headfirst into the control room's giant observation window. Oops! In 3D, it crashes into them. The glass shatters, which doesn't really look like it would underwater. And it's a very long... And the shark looks phony as shit. Yeah, it's like, this is a 3D moment. A 3D moment. This is one of the biggest ones that doesn't translate well over the years. I mean, it's a bad-looking shot. Uh, Do you recall what it looked like at the time? I remember thinking it looked really great. Yeah. Thinking it probably looked pretty cool in '83, but yeah, now now when you're watching it non 3D, it doesn't it doesn't look no because especially once the shark breaks that glass, it just stays there. Yeah, 
and like the glass, they give you a minute to have the glass soar through. It you. just it just sits there chomping and like, eh, I'm going to chomp over here. I want to water starts to fill it up real quick. And well, here's the thing: it's a great. You want to talk about production value? The millions of gallons of water that flood into this lab or the observation room where they're in looks great, and you can see stuntmen swimming trying to get up. I mean, it's a really well done sequence aside from the 3D. Uh, Bouchard heroically. He can either grab nephew Fred or the the white lady, and he grabs he grabs her. Uh, Fred gets chomped. We do see Fred get eaten to bits. Uh, Only reason why you got this job, nephew. Poor Fred. Uh, Bouchard saves the chick, and and Fred gets gets fed to the shark. This he had a medical degree from Florida State, and he chose this job instead. Well, it's like my degree from the same state. <laughs> This fucking shark is so big, though, it can't fit into the giant control room. So it's just kind of hanging out there at the window, roaring at Catherine and Mike. They have enough time to, like, look at each other, like, what are we going to do? Let's put our scuba tanks back on so we can breathe and we'll figure it out. Like, it's so big it can't get to them. Mike notices that Fitzroy's hand is still stretched out from the shark's mouth. It's inside the shark's mouth, but they can see it. And it has one of his grenades... Doctor thinks he was he was trying to blow it up, but he just died too soon. He got, he got it there. He tried. So Mike bends a steel pole, fashioning <laughs> a makeshift hook, and uses it to man. uses it to reach in and pull the pin on the grenade, blasting the mama shark to pieces, just as his father, Sheriff Martin Brody, did so many years ago. Die, the shark, the bitch. shark's jaws and teeth. Soar out of us in 3D. It's a big bloody mess. Mike and Catherine rise to the surface out in the lagoon. We made it, he yells. What about the others, Catherine asks. Calvin and Lisa are okay. What about the dolphin, she asks. Uh, What about fucking Fred? Nobody cares about Fred. (laughs) Nobody cares. Poor nephew. (laughs) Sorry, Fred. Sorry, nephew. (laughs) But no worries. The dolphins show up on cue and give him a ride, and all is well again in the sea world. Well, unless you're Fred. We freeze frame. Fred's dead, babe. Fred's, Fred's dead, dead, baby. Fred's dead. We freeze frame on the dolphins doing the cute little aerial jumps that their human enslavers, I mean best friends, have taught them to do. Yes. So many hundreds of times before in exchange for their dinner. That's how they get food. They perform like... Dance, dolphin, dance. And that's that. Hey, at least they serve a porpoise. The end. The end. All right. I had a a joke there that possibly Mike and Catherine, after all this, deserve a vacation. Maybe they'll go to Finland, but Tut used that joke already, so... I'm remiss to mention this, but... I think the first time I watched this movie, <laughs> I don't think I saw it in the theater because I don't have a specific memory. And, and a lot of movies from back then, even though it was a long time ago, I, I think have, you'd, you'd remember this one, Doctor. I do, I do have specific memories of stuff. Like I can remember, uh, I can remember the whole time the, I can remember the whole story about going to see Conan the Destroyer um, in 1984 with a friend of mine. Uh, Kate, a guy I went to elementary school with, Richard Herrera, uh, his brother, uh, his older brother, Billy, 
Um, it was when PG thirteen was that was Conan Destroyer was PG thirteen, right? It wasn't R. The very first PG thirteen movie I remember and seeing is Temple of Doom, and I think that might have been the first PG thirteen movie. Was was Conan the Destroyer just PG though, or was it PG thirteen? I actually want to say Conan the Barbarian was R. I think Destroyer was actually just PG. Because uh, I I can remember the belated point I'm making that in 1984. Uh, you know, I, I turned nine that year and, um, uh, Richard's older brother, Billy was like 16. So, uh, that area that, that is now that apartment complex in between, uh, you know, the Canyon Creek neighborhood, it became the rain tree apartments and the apple Creek or whatever. That was just a big field and cinema five had just opened. And so one day in the summer of 84, Billy, who was 16, walked me and Richard through that field. There's, just, there's something your parents won't do today. My mom was like, whatever. We just walked through that field and, and watched Conan the Destroyer in theaters. Like, I, I don't think I saw this movie in a the theater, but what I was getting at is the earliest memory of this movie was, as stupid as it is, I thought when you see Fitzroy's there at the end with the grenade in his hand, that even though he's been in the shark's mouth for 10 minutes, he was somehow still alive. And no, I mean technically he could be. Like the eyes are open and he's holding the grenade. It's like he had a he had a scuba tank. I mean, he could have been. How I was like, how can that be? How can he still be in there and alive? But uh, I think he wasn't, of course. But that was one of my thoughts. Was like he was still somehow alive and just holding the grenade. Um, I have very very vivid memories of very few. The ones I do remember seeing in the early eighties, uh, Jaws three is definitely one of them. Uh, I also remember Red Dawn scaring the shit out of me. I remember the exact theater I went to and saw it and who I was with. And I remember being just really freaked out uh, for a young kid. Very young. I mean, what, what year was Red Dawn? 80, 83? 84. The concept of, of us not being safe in, in you know America just blew my mind as a, as a, you know, as an elementary school, for God's sake. Or, yeah. Um, man, that scared the piss out of me. I remember uh, just uh, Romancing the Stone, I remember very vividly. Um, just just leaving the theater and just had never really seen a, um, a movie that fun. Like, I just remember, like, walking out so happy from Romancing the Stone. I don't know why, but just <laughs> weird. It's, it's weird how certain movies uh, just kind of stick with you. Yeah, uh, especially like in those days, uh, and my romancing the stone story is a bunch of us, uh, somebody's mom or dad was going to take us to see Greystoke, the legend of Tarzan. Yeah. Uh, yes. Up at the wrong time, so we saw romancing the stone instead. Yeah. And it was like, wow, that was a win. Well, uh, I remember afterwards, my grandma took my cousin uh, BC and I to see Romancing the Stone with some uh, some other people. And I remember afterwards, hey, what'd you do when you were a kid? You'd watch a movie, then you'd go home and play the movie. Yeah. And I remember it. I'm like, all right, I'm going to be Jack from, uh, Rem- I was the older cousin, so I'm Jack, and I made him be Danny DeVito. <laughs> uh, He's now at a mental institution. Uh, uh, yeah. So it's funny because, like, so many people in those days, um, now it's nothing, but in those days, in the 80s, uh, having HBO or Showtime was a big deal. Oh, yeah. Not yeah. everybody had that. I didn't. Watch the movies, and, and, and VCRs were... Didn't have that either. 
A new Instead of now, or, or, or back when they had video stores, a tape would come out to rent like over a year after the movie had been in the theater. Uh, so it was yeah. like having, having HBO or Showtime was like a big friggin' deal back then. Yeah. Um, and then the, the last one, and there's, there's others, but the last one, speaking to your point, Doctor, what would no parent let their kid do today? I lived on the far side of town, much further from you, from the movie theaters. And one summer, I remember I was getting my mom worked during the day and I, I was, I was given just some random ice cream money or video game money or whatever. And back then you could go see a matinee for two, three bucks, uh, which seems crazy now, but dude, at least I, a safe estimate, at least 10 times over the summer, I rode my bike at least 15 miles. To the ain't doing that now. To the cinema down busy, like the main streets to watch tim burton's batman i watched it like twice a week for for weeks i would ride and just sit in that theater and watch i was uh yeah those are those were kind of cool times we're Uh, better because of it in my opinion i know i'm biased but oh oh i thought you said i thought you were saying we're better because we don't let people do that i'm like what we're, our our generation, in my opinion, and I'm I'm admittedly biased. We yeah. are better because we had those experiences as kids. I think so. Um, those are dangerous. Well, there's a million factors that that come into play there on on why we can't do those things anymore. And and uh, oh, I understand why we can't. I mean, but uh, we we've touched on that over the years quite a bit on the podcast. But uh, yeah, it's just you know what certain movies just resonate with you guys our age girls our age because of your experience in the theater and how you got to that theater and who you were with in that theater and i think now more so than ever well obviously quarantine aside covid19 aside where everybody's just watching shit at home or on a tablet yeah i think that's something that's going to be lost for for a whole generation of kids and that's sad um, they're not going to get to have the Jaws 3D memory, and I, I'm glad, you know, I, I got to see it with one of my favorite people, my Aunt Nancy, and it was something that some other uh, older of our relatives disapproved of, but she said, fuck it, we're going, and uh, it was, it, I'll never forget it, and uh, so I'm glad we did, I'm glad out of all the Jaws movies, uh, we did Jaws 3D. I think it's the most uh, it's it's the easiest easily the one to have the most fun with. Oh yeah, and I think the best one to do a show on. I mean, what can you say about Jaws at this point that hasn't been said a thousand times? Right, right. Uh, and, you know, and Jaws two is a great sequel, but same thing. There, it's you know, Jaws four might be an interesting show, okay, to consider in the future for never say never say never. That thing's got that thing's got some meat on the bones for for different reasons. Just say it's got some teeth. Uh, doctor. Uh, oh, come on. What? You know what? No, no, that, that doesn't get that doesn't get the turn. Okay. You know what? Thank that you. joke Thank actually had a porpoise. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll allow it. Um, mm-hmm. Jaws four might might have a. That, that I could see that being an interesting show for different reasons. This this for me this is a good show. I love this movie. I, I love it for its faults. It's got faults. We've talked about them. 
It's got some big faults. This movie's fun. Uh, I'm a big, big Jaws 3 fan for all of the reasons, good and bad, that make it what it is. It's an enjoyable movie. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. It was fun revisiting. I, I hadn't seen it in a, in, a, in a good while. Like, sat down and really watched it. It comes on AMC all the time in the summer. But I hadn't really sat down and give this movie some proper attention in a while. So I, I, I love it when we do that. We do a lot of movies I've never seen before. I like going back and watching a movie I've seen a million times and really seen it with some fresh eyes. Um, so yeah, fucking a. Um, it's summertime and a shark movie uh, that tracks. Tut, do your thing. All right. So uh, why don't you uh, join us on YouTube? You can find us at uh, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Real and quick, uh, real quick, yeah. Tut. More so than Facebook, which. Eh. Instagram, we, we get some great traffic, great views on our Insta stories, and we're, that that those numbers slowly grow. YouTube subscribers and YouTube views is where our shit is at right now. Like we get our monthly reports from YouTube, and the hours the hours alone that people are checking out the show, I can't wrap my brain box around. Like it is crazy. Yeah. I don't I mean, question it. In a good way. So, uh, yeah, uh, YouTube is, is, is the place to be for us right now. So I'm loving it. So jump on over to YouTube, uh, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Uh, you can see these beautiful mugs. And then uh, I, and you can see me drinking up this beautiful mug from O'Brien's in historic downtown Temple, Texas. Can you hold it closer to the screen, Ted? It's so small. It's going to be <laughs> oh, September Fest. Anyway, so, uh, uh, by the way, uh, hit us up over on Instagram, at TNCCCast. You get to see all the freaking pictures and all the cool stuff we got over there. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Hit us up on Twitter, at TNCCCast. By the way, if you want to buy some cigars, go to TuesdayNightCigarClub.com. Hit on the Famous Smoke Shop banner. It'll automatically put a promo code in. TNCC20. So if you spend 100 bucks, you're going to get 20 bucks off. And like Yogi Bear said, that's 20% off. I'm not sure if he said that, but I'm saying that. So and, Yogi Bear or Yogi Bear? I've heard it both ways. And if you want to go to, uh, you know, just buy something, go to the Amazon banner on TuesdayNightCigarClub.com. Do your shopping there. We get a little kickback. And uh, I think that's about it. Did I cover all of our bases? Um. I like it. Breaking news since the show started. Uh, Yak Boys Pub, O'Brien's, and Irish Pub in downtown historic Temple, Texas. At the beginning of the show, we mentioned that it was suffering from uh, the COVID-19. Breaking news. Flash forward a few hours. It's open for business. So get your ass down there. Get yourself a, a sandwich, a burger, a sampler. Cody's open to substitutions if you want to get rid of the mushroom caps and throw in some extra cheese sticks or some boneless wings. That's false advertising. Y'all still got that shepherd's like pie Mike down there? Brody's inane dash through crowds, shoving them into the water. Cades, inane. None of that's true. Yax, when someone orders substitutions <laughs> on one of your sampler platters, is that what you do in the kitchen? Just shoving... <gasps> There's no substitution here, nephew. No, 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 there's going to be no substitutions here, nephew. 
We have enough super pedas here. I own the pub. I buy the bottle caps. I own the pub. I buy the mushrooms. I move the food. Do what I say. We have insane repetitions here. So get your ass to O'Brien. That's that's an accurate representation. I I, I imagine so from both you and your your older sibling. Um, so that is awesome that you guys are are back in business. Um, and yeah, we'll be back in business very soon with another uh, fun lighthearted summer episode to cheer you up and to make your quarantine and your lockdowns. If you're quarantine lockdown, which you should be, if you're out there running around, uh, knock it off. We're trying to get rid of this thing. Um, so stay at home, tune into the Tuesday night cigar club, make yourself a drink right here, right here. Right here. And we're going to do our best to entertain you for free. It does. This doesn't cost you anything. Is that right? Liver. Is that right? We're doing this shit for free? Yeah. Wait, what? What? <laughs> that doesn't sound right. It's a lot of work. Free? Not. Out of the podcast. Out of the podcast. Out of the podcast. Well, hey, everybody, um, as the large swarms of anonymous, uniformed uh, people take over your cities and warrantlessly shove you into military vehicles and shuttle you off to somewhere we don't know, and as the world gets scarier and scarier, don't forget, may the wings of liberty never lose a feather. That's not what we're about in America. Keep fighting. Keep fighting the good fight. And as always, we'll see you next time. Sayonara, motherfuckers. Just when you thought it was safe to go back to SeaWorld. Now, I'm not saying I'm banned from all SeaWorld locations in North America, but I'm not saying I'm not either. You folks that are still allowed to that stupid place, you tell me if you see a single sign anywhere that says pants are required when riding the bumper boats. And while you're at it, you can report back if you see a single sign anywhere that bathing suits must be worn at all times when sunbathing on SeaWorld grounds. Because I sure as shit didn't see any of those signs whatsoever. And here I am getting judged and banned from a lame-ass theme park just because I let my little mini Shamu breathe a little bit. So, okay. I guess I'm saying that I got banned from SeaWorld. And possibly from all North Dakota Appleby locations, but that's another story for possibly another time. Hey, my mini mozzarella stick needed to come out for some air as well. Don't judge me, you sanctimonious bastards. Anywho... To learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, you can visit jcnewman.com. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'Brien'sTemple.com and download their free smartphone app, where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.fritzbeermusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club Podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying until next time, friends. 
unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky, and for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well. Get drunk.